Welcome to the Cinematch Podcast. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Cinematch Podcast, the show where we take different movies every week and use different ways that we continue to come up with to debate and rate them. We are still in the Halloween Horror Month, and this week is a very, very special episode because, as Nathan said in the past, he's not a big horror fan, um, but there is one franchise that he really loves and it's also my favorite franchise so that's what we're doing today um we'll get into that in a minute because i just realized i haven't even introduced us which is just outrageous form um so my name is cal altimus i am one of your hosts and joining me as he does every week is mr nathan sackle hannah how are you sir not too bad how how much did you have to get right he's got a new last name before you said it do you know, it was like, I, I was, I was halfway through it and I was like, is it Hannah Sackle or Sackle Hannah? <laughs> like, I was like, I couldn't remember for a minute, but. Yeah, I keep signing things at work and I'm like, right. I do the first one and it's like the old signature. I was like, shit, new one, new one, shit. Yeah, that's sad. I didn't even think that. You'd have to send your signature as well. How different is your signature? Do you just put an S or do you have to put, the, do you have to try to squeeze the entire thing? You've seen my signature. It's basically a scribble. So I just put a swirly in the middle of the scribble. Oh dear. See, yeah. I, mine changes every time I do it. Every time I do a signature, it's cool. I could write, I could do two on this paper now and it wouldn't look the same. I just like do the CA and then just go. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Though I did it in front of somebody today, the signature, and they were like, oh, yeah, I mean, I hope so. You practice that. And I was like, really not. It's just, it, it feels pretty natural. So that's all right. It's just an extra. Yeah. Well, at least I got it right. It is Nathan Sackle Hannah, um, <laughs> the newly married man. Scream. There's a really awkward pause after you said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Scream straight into it. You're wearing the shirt. That's the franchise we're covering. We're coming back with another category carnage. This is our first... No, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're doing Battle Royal. Sorry. We're doing a Battle Royal. Carnage. Battle Royal. This is our first since the ultimate one we did to celebrate our yeah. 10 episodes together. It's our third in total after we also did the Harry Potter series. But this one is the one that I'm most excited for because... While I loved Harry Potter and I enjoyed the episode, the episode we did for our, um, Milestone, the, the Scream franchise is the one I'm most familiar with. And I feel like I, I love every single one of these movies. So whereas the Harry Potter ones, it had been a while since I'd seen some and I, and I wasn't as clued up as I used to be. Scream, I still, I know them all at like the back of my hand. So I'm excited for this. Like I said at the start, you're not that big a horror fan or you weren't, but Scream was really the franchise that really turned you onto it for the most part, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't watch Scream, like I said to you a second before we started recording. Um, I didn't watch Scream, Scream until the first lockdown. Uh, so me and Grace watched it and I like watched it and immediately fell in love. Um, <laughs> I can just say to you, I watched Scary Movie before Scream, so I thought the plot of Scary Movie was the plot of Scream, so I was convinced that Dewey was the killer. Um, yeah, that's how they got me. <laughs> uh, but yeah as soon as I watched Scream 1 it was like right Scream 2 let's get Scream 3 on let's be 4 and then like luckily Scream 5 was coming out and then like moving up to Scream 6 like we watched all of the Scream films together in the we did a stabathon uh, leading yeah. up to the, the new one coming out and it was oh, it was amazing just watching them again and like in the lead up to a new one like all the excitement so yeah that I think Scream is what kind of got me into the horror horror genre even though we've proven i'm not that massive of a fan i think it's a slasher is that like yeah although it's ironic we say that because the slasher episode we've done this month was probably the ones where there were two films you just despised but yeah that this franchise does have the rare distinction where we've watched them all together which is a uh, yeah. quite interesting we obviously watched them ahead of the newest one 
But yeah, I watched Scary Movie first as well, so that threw me off with the first screen when I expected Dewey to pop up as the killer at the end. I mean, I'm glad he didn't because Dewey ends up being one of the best characters, but yeah, I thought he was going to be the killer too. But yeah, we're doing the Battle Royale, so essentially how it works is we start off with the first screen, and I mean, I'm not telling you because you're the one that came up with this and told me, so... (laughs) Yeah, we take the first we take the first scream and we decide from then on where we'd put the second one, whether it'd be above or below the first. And then we move on through the franchise, ranking them from the bottom and trying try, essentially figuring out how how many of the films that come before it do they jump in front of. We're basically getting the definitive cinematic ranking of of one of the best franchises of all time. Which yeah. I think we might have some similar opinions on this one. There's no Back to the Future in this one, in this list. So we know that that's not going to be number one. No, unfortunately not. I think, I think, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I feel like there is a definitive number one that we will probably agree on. But I think some of the other choices might be interesting. I'm not sure how much will align with some of them. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Should we get started then? Crack on? Yeah, I mean, might, might as well, haven't we? Well, we're here. Yeah, we're here. We might as well. Two birds, one storm. We'll get, we'll talk, and we'll do the podcast at the same time. Um, so yeah, we'll start off then with the first scream, which, I mean, it goes without saying, it kind of revolutionised the horror genre. It was an absolute masterpiece. Wes Craven just he took what had worked in the eighties and kind of gone a little bit outdated, and he kind of just like transformed it forever with the with bringing it to a more like aware cast like the the 80s horrors and slashes were good but they were all kind of like brainless idiots whereas what he did with scream is he brought the horror to a group of characters that knew about horror movies and they they knew about the tropes and stuff it was very meta um and it was fucking brilliant so you said you watched the first one in lockdown and immediately put you onto the other so what did you what were your your initial thoughts with that film like because the opening immediately tells you you're in for a fucking unbelievable ride Mm. yeah i um i knew about the opening so i knew that unfortunately casey becker uh so i already kind of knew about that but like never watched it in full so finally getting into watching it in full i was like oh fuck we're in for a good ride already like you can already kind of tell and that opening just really like really sets the tone for the rest of the movie like does it really really well a lot of self-aware like you said a lot of meta um and really like it feels modern even now even obviously it's very dated in the 90s it still feels quite modern in that it you can tell when you're watching it it's doing something different and that it's doing something that hadn't come before it um and then as the film goes on it's not it's not scary it's not a scary movie that's a different film it's, that was almost uh, the title, though. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't know that until I think you told me that, and I was like, fuck, can you imagine? Um, that's the worst title for an actual horror, scary movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, you fucking put me off now. <laughs> you yeah, bastard. Um, oh, fuck, what was I saying? No, it's like, it's not a scary movie, but it is, um, like, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a slasher, obviously. It's not like jumpy. It's funny as well. 
and it's yeah. it really engages you. I absolutely fucking loved it. Like I couldn't stop watching it. I usually we will pause films to get snacks and pause films because like constantly fucking pausing films in this house. But like I'm think watching that, we watched it from start to finish with no interruptions. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it is. It is an unbelievable film. What do you think of the cast in that one? Because obviously, while the main like spine of the franchise tends to say the same throughout the majority of the series, there are a lot of supporting characters that change to each. You know what, sorry? Unless she's not being paid enough. Well, yeah. God bless her. I still hope she comes back for the next one. Um, but yeah, what did you think of the, the, the cast overall in the first one? I think perfect. I think it's genuinely a perfect cast. Um, I don't think I can think of another film with as good of a cast as this. Better than back, I would say the cast is better than Back to the Future cast. Oh, fuck yeah. You're coming at me through it already. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, it genuinely is like a perfect cast. Like, it's not, I mean, you could easily, like, you could probably take people out and replace them with different actors and you wouldn't know, but they all work so well. Like, and obviously, um, Drew Barrymore was at the height of her pop- popularity when she was at the beginning of the movie. So that's definitely like, that was 100%, must have been a war, like, amazing to watch that um, bait and switch, that rug being pulled from under you, thinking that she was going to be the star just have her be killed off spoilers and um but yeah everybody uh nev campbell and i mean i'm terrible with names we know this but i'm going to try my hardest to remember my favorite oh why can't i remember Stu's name Stu matthew lillard black matthew lillard like yeah. absolutely amazing amazing um piece of casting there because you know ne- like i never believed for one second he could have been the killer which yeah. makes it more the more all the more obvious on the on a rewatch that he is the most obvious one because he's the least obvious one because he's just so fucking stupid but he plays it really well and then when you re- like realize he is the killer you can tell that no he's not the fucking mastermind he plays it so well yeah all that just say what a fucking perfect cast like every every single i mean they definitely don't look like teenagers absolutely not but i mean even henry Rinkler is the uh, principal just fucking perfect. Uh, every every single cast member, Dewey, obviously, um, Courtney Cox. This is where I switch between character names and uh, real people names because I'm just fucking terrible with names. But um, Courtney Cox, like ev- everybody, is just spot on. Yeah, I think that first cast is as good as it gets. Um, even like people like Jamie Kennedy playing Randy, who I think is such an effective character because he's the one that. Is really in the know about the horror movies, like that scene where he's in front of the TV at the party and he's telling everyone the rules. It's it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. Like yeah. I think it is so good. And as a horror fan, you kind of feel like validated watching it. Like yeah, we all fucking know those. We know those tropes. Like it's about time you motherfuckers did it all. Um, but yeah, it's so good. Like Tatum, uh, Sydney's best friend, who is obviously played by. Uh, Rose McGowan like the whole cast is just brilliant and Courtney Cox at the time it was obviously in the middle of Friends she was such a huge star and to come in and play like this like narcissistic bitch who eventually obviously evolves over the series but at the beginning she's not that very uh, likeable like just it was like um Monica. you know sorry just like Monica she, well yeah yeah especially towards the end but early season Monica I thought it was great but that's a different conversation for a different type of podcast, I imagine. Um, but yeah, the first one's a special movie. The Killers, the reveal that there's two, I don't think anyone expected at the time. I think that was something that was completely new. 
I didn't know it and I didn't guess it. No, that's what I was going to ask you before we move on because the killers are obviously Billy Loomis, which was Sydney, Sydney Prescott's boyfriend, Sydney being Neve Campbell as the main character, and his best friend. Stu Macker, who was played by Matthew Lillard. Did you, ex- did you, I know you just said you didn't think it would be Stu, but did you suspect Billy? Because they kind of hinted at the beginning it could be, but then they kind of ruled him out. And then there's a lot of back and forth with it. Always suspected Billy. And then when he gets stabbed near the end, I was, you are kind of like, oh, what the fuck? Like, who can it fucking be then? Um, again, I expect, I thought Dewey for a long time. Yeah. Because- Fucking scary movie. Um, and if you watched it thinking it was doing it, it kind of works, uh, unfortunately. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the reveal of the killers. I think it, it's great. And like the whole backstory as to why they've done it as well, like really, really works. And like, and then you do a rewatch and you have their comments at the beginning when they sat on the fountain after Casey's been killed and there's like hints already there. And you're just like, fuck, it's so fucking obvious. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I love the. I think the killers in the first one are obviously always going to be loved more than most because they're the originals. Um, but I mean, there's a very good reason they're loved. They're not. It's so very smartly done, and when they are revealed, it's not like they're masterminds either. All that they're super clever. They're just fucking. They're still teenagers, and like Stu's still stupid. Even though he's yeah. like all these killings, you know, when he, you know, when he gets stabbed and he's like fucking uh, moaning, and what's it? What does it say? Wow, what the fuck did he say? Which bit? Is he like are you gonna tell my? Uh, don't tell my dad or something. Yeah, like he said my mum and dad are gonna be so mad at me. Yeah, his mum and dad are gonna be so mad. <laughs> fucking yeah, and when he gets stabbed, he says I feel a little woozy. I'm getting a bit woozy here. Yeah, that's another. Yeah, that's that's I think what elevates it for me is Matthew Lillard's performance in that last. Like, but once it's revealed and he just goes overboard, I think it's so good. Like, he is so convincing as someone that has just lost his fucking mind. And it it's kind of played off like he's a, like he's an idiot who doesn't really know what he's doing. But then that scene when Sydney kills him and he like runs in and lands on top of her, and he says something like, "I've always had a thing for you." Said it kind of hints at like some really like darker undertones, like what could have happened if she doesn't um, fend him off. But those two are brilliant. I think the first two killers, Stu and Billy, are like. Like all the other films, bar one, which I won't talk about yet. I think all the other films, bar one, try to be too clever with it, and like try to like really make it complicated or like try and like keep you guessing. Whereas this one does it more naturally, and it makes sense overall. And it's not like a, it's not really really clever. It's just he's pissed off and he wants revenge. It doesn't, and I don't think he really cares that if Stu dies or not. It's he just wants revenge on you know for his parents and whatever so yeah um well before we move on then and try rank and some of the others <laughs> against try it and get anything against this one yeah we'll quickly talk touch on some of the deaths then because there are some good ones in this um obviously drew barrymore at the beginning was iconic and that is one of the best opening scenes to any movie ever i think i didn't watch it like when i watched it i was about 15 16 and this was years after the height of drew barrymore's film so i don't think i quite grasped how big a star she was so it didn't feel as impactful to me as it, I imagine it did to everyone in the cinemas when this film was first released. But that opening scene is incredible. Um, you've got that. You've got the principal, um, Henry Winkler's death in the office, which is really well done. And I love that he sticks his head out and it's Wes Craven in the Freddy yeah. Krueger gear mopping. I yeah. love that little callback. Um, 
I loved it until I watched Freddy 3 and I'm going to watch every time I'm going to watch Scream I'm going to be like <laughs> that is just on you my friend that is on you um not yet to watch the first like we we very very nearly watched it the other day the first freddy movie the first nightmare and then um and then we watched conjuring 2 instead i think good film very and good then film. it was like oh should we finally watch nightmare and then we watch conjuring 3 well i don't know if that's better conjuring 2 i can understand but conjuring 3 i don't think was that good um yeah, tatum wears the johnny depp shirt from nightmare on elm street as well don't you yeah, yes, it does. I know that little bit of trivia. Yeah, that, speaking of Tatum, her death as well in the the, like. the garage when she's kind of, I don't know why she thinks it's someone playing dress up. There's literally a fucking killer going around. Like, I'd be concerned if I saw him, and she seems to think it's someone playing a prank and keeps talking. Again, there's the meta commentary where she keeps saying she wishes she could be in the sequel. And I think she's the one that christens him Ghostface. I think Tatum's the one that calls him Ghostface for the first time, and that's where the name comes from. Because I don't think anyone referred to him by name before that, but she says something like, please, Mr. Ghostface, I want to be in the sequel. And I think it's stuck from there. But her death when she gets stuck in the cat flap and it goes up and crushes her, that's, that was fucking gruesome. Like, um, there wasn't very many deaths in the first like She's um, <laughs> She tries and escapes him and throws that fucking beer at him. And he's fucking, like, drenched. And he's like, you, I think that's what makes it, that's what makes it special because, like, I mean, I'm not a massive horror fan, but even watching that for the first time, you know that you know that Jason's just unstoppable, immovable. Like the same with Michael Myers. Like Freddy's got all the dream power. Like all these like big horror icons are like are infallible. They don't like you tend. It's very rare you'll see them like stumble and fall. They're just kind of like brute forces. Whereas <laughs> fucking get a fucking beer thrown at you, and then he he he, he smashes him. Does he, he drops to the floor or something, and then scrambles to get back up. And you can tell he's like, oh, it's not going to plan, so he has to like improvise. Uh, I think that really helps with the what makes Ghostface super unique as well. Yeah, the fact he's he's vulnerable and he isn't this um, unstoppable force really does help the character. The mask as well is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen. There he is. I remember, uh, so this didn't happen to me directly, but my sister was babysitting me when I was a kid, so I don't remember it. And I think I was like four, she would have been about 15, 16. And my cousin who lived across the street came around and did in the ghost face mask and to scare her. And said it was the most traumatic experience of her entire life. I really, really wanted for Grace to be home tonight, but she's not, she's at work, because she's got a ghost face costume she bought for Halloween a couple of years ago. So I really wanted her to be like halfway through the episode, just creep in the back door whilst we, whilst we record it. will kill you off on camera. <laughs> That'd be a good way to end. If we ever, if you ever decide to leave the podcast, we won't say anything, then after for an episode, Grace can just come in in a, in a scream outfit and just, just do you in on the camera and we can just, that can be it right off. No explanation, just that we stop doing the podcast. Yeah, and then we'll just never bring it up again. Um, but yeah, like, there's not that many deaths in the first one. There's obviously Kenny, the poor cameraman, who I think is such a funny oh, yeah. character. He just gets terrorised by Gail Weathers throughout. Um, but that's, that's a nice scene when he's watching the camera and he clicks that there's the tape delay and he turns and the doors open and then all of a sudden Ghostface is there behind him. Um, but yeah, I think I remember watching a documentary and they added the Henry Winkler death, the principal death in because they realised there wasn't any from the first one all the way till the final showdown. Yeah, so they just wrote that in much later on because after Casey, there isn't anyone until that party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they, no they wonder, added... No wonder she weren't scared about a killer on the loose. Let me fucking kill two people. Well, three. <laughs> right, well, three. 
Yeah, I said, don't leave poor Steve out. Um, but yeah, the first one, it's a classic. It's a brilliant movie. I love it. It's one of my favourite movies of all time. I would um, definitely, it's definitely one of my favourite movies of all time. Like, in terms of... It's there. No, it's not. It's there. It's so crazy. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I've got to be really slow here. There it is. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the films where I didn't ever care about it, wasn't bothered about watching it, and then finally watched it, and then I'm obsessed. I absolutely obsessed with it. Yeah, it's a special one. I'm not sure how it's going to compare to the others because it is that special, but we'll try. We'll see. I think we'll see if anything goes above it. I think that's the thing with it. It is, it is very unique and special, and a lot of like not me, but you probably have spent more time with it and loved it for a lot longer. So it does have like a special place. But for me, it's even for me, it's got that special because it's just so unique. Yeah, yeah. All you have to do is look at all the horror movies based on teenagers that came out afterwards and see how many times they tried to rip Scream off just to see how effective it was. And I know we talk about like where's Craven directed and stuff, but I'm saying this to Dan, um, our friend Dan, recently. Like the guy that wrote the script, Kevin Williamson, got the idea after re- hearing on the news about a murder, and he wrote the entire script for the first screen movie over one weekend. And I think that needs to be recognised more. Like that is such an in- impressive achievement. Like, and obviously everyone talks about Wes Craven as like the master behind screen, but that coming up with that idea and writing the scripts, we all considering how clever Scream is, like. Third player, Mr. Kevin fucking Williamson, is all I'm saying. Like, that is very well done. Agreed. And whoever's decision it was to do the ghost face, because I'm pretty sure the ghost face is like, was an actual costume. I don't, I mean, I might be wrong, but it's like an actual branded costume. Yeah. Like, ghost face isn't like a, it's not like called screen costume or anything like It's always called ghost face. And it's never like copyrighted to the screen movies or anything. So I don't know if it's its own thing, but like. Well, I think there's obviously the, there's the very famous painting, the, Ed, is Edvard Munch who did the scream and it's the man holding his face yeah, like this yeah, yeah. and his mouth is that shame. I think that's where the inspiration for the costume came from and that's why the film's called Scream but I don't know how long I it have been. It's such, a, it's such a unique and iconic design as well. Like, yeah. You know what it is as soon as you see it. Like You can't get it mixed up with anything. It's so, and it's not even that scary, are you? Like, it's just... It looks sad. When he does it, he looks sad. But it's just like, but he's fucking freaky. Like, I wouldn't want to see that in an alleyway. No, fuck no. Just my sister when it turned up at my house when she was babysitting. Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't like it at all. Uh, we'll move on then to Scream 2, which came out not too long after the first one. I think with the success of the first one, it felt like they immediately like cracked on with the second. I think it was a year later they brought the second one out. And after the high school students in the first are terrorised, the second one picks up with them in college. We've got Sydney and Randy who are in college now um, with a new group of characters around them, like Sydney's new boyfriend, Derek, played by the fucking gorgeous Jerry O'Connell. Um, you've got Sydney's friend, I think Haley was her name. You've got Derek's friend, Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant. And then obviously you've got the the stars coming back like Dewey and Gale as well. And so Michelle the second. You what sorry? Get so Michelle Geller. Yeah. And for better or worse, Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh uh, yeah. 
I know what everyone's thoughts on her are these days. I've seen a lot of memes about her on social media. I don't know. She'll probably she'll probably listen to the episode this episode and say I went. I was never even in that movie. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's also something because when I watched Scary Movie, I thought it was a parody of the first screen. But once you watch the first two, you see there's a lot of the second one in it as well, um, yeah. including the opening scene in the cinema where. Um, the young man is in the bathroom and hears something in the uh, the stall. And while in Scary Movie, he has a knife. He has a, an organ put in his ear. Oh, yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. In uh, Scream 2, he's obviously stabbed in the head. And same with Jada Pinkett Smith's character. With all the raging fans in the ghost face mask, no one really knows that she's actually being stabbed in the screen, surrounded by all these different people. It showed like, immediately like the stakes were higher and you didn't have to be alone to be in danger. You could be in a crowded place and this sort of shit could happen. And she was obviously killed in the screen. When we watched that, when we watched Scream 2 together this year, I remember like thinking like how great that would have been in like one of the latest Scream movies, like that scene in the cinema, like even more modernised because you could take it that step further and have people like recording them for like social media and stuff. Because that is 100% what had happened. Yeah. You think it's part of the stunt. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Although I'd be sat back judging them, like fucking talking and messing about during this screen. Sit down. If I was in that, yeah, a I wouldn't want to work in that cinema. B I wouldn't want to watch a film in that fucking cinema. I never would ever watch a film in that cinema. Never. I'd like to sit quiet as the <laughs> stand-up citizen that I am. Um. So before we talk about the cast, though, how did what did you think about the fact that in screen two, we kind of saw screen one on the screen, like they made a movie out of it because it really added, like it, it amped up the meta commentary from the first one and really drilled it home in the second, like Stab, which is a ridiculous name for a horror movie. But the, the fact that the events of screen one were like taken and made into a movie, which obviously we've seen happen so many times in real life. Heather Graham. Yeah, Heather Graham, one of the finest looking women of all time, first of all. Check Hearing Scrubs, hearing Scrubs as uh, Doctor Molly, oh, I'm in love. <laughs> but yeah, Heather Graham. It's also got Tori Spelling. She makes a cameo. Yeah, yeah. And, She's, uh, um, it's brilliant. I th- how did what did you think about that then? I really liked it, and I've talked about it again with Dan. You're getting a lot of shout outs this past couple of weeks in Halloween week. Uh, month, yeah, Dan. just wait till we get past Halloween. We never mention him again. Never mention him again. In fact, can we make a can we make the effort no, never to? Um, <laughs> like we both agreed, like I would love a stab movie, like an actual full stab movie, like which is just the first scream, but like really over, like even more over the top. Or I, I mean, I'd even have it animated because it'd just be so fun. Um, no, I really loved it. it again, it I think it, it takes what is self-aware and, for lack of a better term, meta of the first one and then says, right, well, now we're not being meta about and self-aware about older films, we're being self-aware and meta about our own film, which is a, like a, a really, like really, really cool twist on um, like being, being self-referential knowing that the first outing was iconic enough to be able to do that a second time. It's Mind bending. Yeah, and some of the some of the actors again, like I said, Heather Graham, Tori Spelling, Luke Wilson, and we don't see him on screen, which I'm devastated about. But I think there's the scene between Randy and Dewey, where Randy says that David Swimmer is playing Dewey's character. Like, so I'd love to see Ross Geller playing Deputy Dewey in uh, the Stab movie. I think that would have been absolutely fantastic. 
But um, yeah, is there, is it, did they not say that Jennifer Aniston's playing? Or am I just making that up in my head? Is there not a scene in one of the films where they say that Jennifer Aniston or that Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston had been approached for the character of um, yeah. Gail Weathers? I'm I sure. think in the third one they say that she left. Uh, Something like that. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you know, it's... I remember watching it thinking there's a lot of Friends references. Yeah. Well, that's it. When you've got Courtney Cox in the bags, you, you can probably afford to use them. But um, yeah, it's... Like I said, the, the opening kind of takes everything from the first screen and kind of just amps it up a bit and lets you know that the rules are different. Um, and it takes place in college, which is immediately different because college is obviously a lot more of a like a, an, an overwhelming experience. It's larger than high school, which is very intimate and it's in one place. Um, but we pick up again with Sydney, who's obviously not completely over what happened, but that, that first scene when you see her phone ring and it's Gull's face and he's like... I can't remember what he says, but where do you think I am or something? And she immediately clicks, like, she looks at the caller ID and she calls him out and the kid, it's obviously a prank call and the kid's just like, shit. And it's like, she's been dealing with it and she's learned to, like, get used to it. I think it's so well done. And it shows, like, how, not just strong, but, like, how resilient the character is that she can go through what she did and she can still, like, deal with it as calmly as she has. And she's still willing to have a phone, which I'd have shut that shit off a long time ago if I was getting those sorts of calls. It feels like like most films like that would just kind of reset the characters just so they could be in distress again where is Sydney for every film seems to kind of learn and get a bit stronger every single time and obviously that's a massive that's a massive example of that um yeah that's a great scene where she just looks at the caller ideas like oh fuck off <laughs> um before we go on then I know we've, we we talked about in the first one and I, we just talked about it then Obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is Lois Strode's the most iconic final girl ever. And For a second, I wonder, I wonder where you're going. I'm like, Jamie, which which film is Jamie Lee Curtis in? <laughs> no, she's obviously like I the most. Being in it, she's the most iconic, and there's obviously been quite a few like huge ones over the years. But which is where does Sydney rank for you? Is she number one? Because she's absolutely number one for me. Yeah, I mean, I've not got that many to compare it to because I don't watch that many horrors enough to know. But I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I think it would be it's hard to beat her, but Sydney is my number one. But mainly because of how much I love Scream and how it's really the the one horror that I know I 100% love. Like I like the Halloween movies, but I've not watched all of them. Um, but yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis is fucking great. I I do like Jamie Lee Curtis in the newest Halloween movies. She's always the standout, even if the films aren't great. Um, <laughs> so <come> on. <laughs> um but she always yeah she always brings it but yeah sydney's sydney is uh top for me yeah it's just, it's, a, it's an unbelievable character um, um one of my favorite lines is it it's screen five and i'm i'm sydney fucking prescott of course i've got a gun yeah yeah i like that i like that a lot I do like that a lot. I think Sydney's just a great, great character and her evolution throughout the series is so well like developed, I think. I think that's what was gutting about the last screen that came out, is not having her. She's such a huge character that I think it feels wrong for her not to be around. So I'm hoping we get to see her again because the character, despite having been in five films, it still feels like there's, you can do more with her. So I'm hoping she comes back because she is like the gold standard of final girls for me. Um, but the supporting cast in this one's also really good, I think. I think Timothy Oliphant is such a great actor, and I think to a lot, he's, he's kind of gone underrated, but he's had some great performances over the years. So I really liked his inclusion in this. 
Um, I loved Sarah Michelle Gellar. I think I, I saw somewhere that she signed on to do Scream 2 without even reading the script because she saw the first one and loved it that much. She was like, fuck it, I'll do it. She didn't even read that it. That woman can do no wrong in my eyes. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Um, Crushes of my life go the Pink Power Ranger and then Buffy, and then that's pretty much it. Like, <laughs> there's no, nobody that ever surpassed those two. Not even your wife, fucking hell. No. I, I mean... <laughs> Okay. No. She's only a celebrity to me. <laughs> she um, is great, though. Um, I also like. You want to say? Great or Michelle Keller. <laughs> Grace is all right. She, I mean, Grace is wise because she hired me all those years ago, and I and it changed everyone's lives for the better. Um, but I was talking about Sir Michelle Geller. Um I also yeah. love that we use um, Josh ja- Joshua Jackson, who yeah, yeah, in Dawson's Creek as. Pacey Whitt, one of my favourite TV characters ever and he just comes in for like that one scene like I wish they'd have done more with him but um, he's just an example of like a random character that they bring in like a noticeable name which um, they do a few times, I really like um, bringing in Laurie Metcalf as uh, the journalist Debbie Salt who is quite clear, we, we learn is actually Billy Loomis's mother um, but she's great as well um, the cameraman Joel is so fucking funny. Like he is so funny. I think that's what I like most about this one is they take the cameraman. In the first one was obviously Kenny, who was willing to do what Gail wanted, and it ended up costing. Whereas Joel's like, yeah, fuck this shit. Is it worth yeah. anything? So he bounces. <laughs> and I, hope, I can't believe I almost got through the cast without bringing up um, Liv Sh- uh, Shriver as Cotton Weary, who we obviously saw a glimpse of in the first one, but gets really fleshed out in the second. And for, for me, he's one of the best characters in the entire franchise. He's I think great. Cotton is great. He is great. And it's such a... I mean, they they do things with his character that's very much like we want you to think he's actually the killer. So there's, there's some things that make him act a bit like strange for what his character should be. But overall, he's a, he is a great character. And I wish we got more of him throughout the franchise. Um, but no, I I really liked him too. But I didn't realize it was that was because it was him in the first film as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Because I never realized that. I thought it was just a, re- a recast. But, but that's um, it's another example of like something they did in the first one in such a short thing where it actually was. It wasn't a like spare of the moment thing. It was something they thought upon, like using him in that very brief appearance in the news um, cast when we see him getting in the car when he's arrested and then in the first one also Sydney makes a passing comment where if her life was a movie she'd be played by someone like Tori Spelling and then in the second one they bring them they, they use those and bring them both out and it's just another example of how smart the scripts were and oh Kevin Williamson man what a fucking guy what a guy yeah the fuel to everybody's conspiracy theories that Matthew Lillard he does reprise himself he does he does play a background character in screen yeah two. yeah he's in the party when um, everything goes to shit, which is um, an interesting one because that's also got that Rebecca Gayhart, and it feels like they just got as many noticeable names in for just the most briefest of months. It feels like they really built off the success of the first, and there were so many people in Hollywood that just wanted a piece of it that they were willing to just make the shortest cameos, but it worked for the most part. What did you think of the inclusion of Derek then because obviously after Billy in the first one was the killer they played they brought Derek in who was supposed to be this really nice guy and a large part of it was is he too nice to be true and stuff like that hate him you are hate him what do you mean (laughs) well I fucking love Derek he's that's Sydney's boyfriend Derek yeah 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 hate him 
Fucking... I thought it was great that that scene when he's singing in the canteen. Don't you? No, now you're just trying to you're trying to wind me up. You fuck right off. No, it's the worst thing imaginable. Like that bit is hard to watch, and you know that because that, that's exactly what I fucking said when we watched it together. You piece of shit. Well, I fucking loved it. I don't know what to tell you. I it's like so, Derek. I mean, he's not a bad character. It's just that one bit that I fucking hate. Can't stand. I think his issue is he's a bit too dull. There's not much yeah. to him. He's just kind of there to worship Sydney and yeah, yeah. I think you if you I think they played him too nice so that you suspected him. Yeah. Like yeah, like you said, he's too good to be true, so it's not going to be. And when it turns out he it's all He was just a nice guy that was supposed to be a doctor. Yeah, he just kind of like, well, yeah. So that's what you get for dating Sydney Prescott, to be fair. Like, what do you want? I mean, I'd probably will be willing to risk my life and date Sydney Prescott, <laughs> but if I died, I knew what I signed up for. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think they all cast are good. The deaths in the second one are much uh, a step up on the first as well, because obviously you've got the two at the beginning in the um, theatre. You've got Sarah Michelle, Garrett, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's character who gets thrown off that balcony, which is an incredible scene. Um, you've got my favourite death in the entire series, which is poor fucking Randy, who, after surviving the first... Because in the new series, not to step on the newer ones, you've got the core four with um, the four main characters that survived the first and are in the second. Whereas it felt like, for people watching the second screen, it felt like there was that core four. It felt like Randy was a main character. He was one of the four survivors. And in hindsight, it's quite strange to think there was a time when he was considered one of the main characters alongside the other three because he doesn't get past the second one. But that scene when he's out, again, it's another one of those where they're letting you know nowhere's safe because he's out in the open yeah. in daylight with so many people around and somehow doesn't make it. But the scene when he's on the phone to the killer and he's just ripping into Billy Loomis and Stu calling him like a pussy-ass sweat rag and uh, <laughs> homo-oppressed mommy's boy and stuff like the stuff from Randy in that scene is so, so good. And he was one of my favourite characters just because he knew he was the horror guy. Like, he knew everything about it. Is so it, Is it Scream 2? It's not, I don't know if it's, it's not Scream 3, is it? Scream 2 and he's like, we're in the sequel now. And he's, he's yeah. talking about... He the says sequel. the rules are different. Yeah, the sequel rules. He's such a, yeah. he's such a, a character. He's such a human that wouldn't really exist. And if you did, you wouldn't want to be friends with him. Yeah. But as a character, you can't help but fucking love him. Yeah, I think having someone like that around adds a new wrinkle to the film because he's there to tell everyone what what the rules are and stuff. And we see that even when they kill him, they still find a way to use it again and again throughout the franchise with different characters and even with like a videotaping of himself. Like it shows like how important that character was and that like certain personality. And but that scene was incredible. Like in the open as well, because because it was in the open, he was arguing. It was the last thing I expected was him just getting dragged into that van. I didn't see it coming at all. Like, it was really well done, I thought. No, no, I agreed. I said, it's a great scene. And because it, like, that's happening while everybody else is trying to find the killer because they're looking for somebody on the phone. And like you said, you don't think it's going to happen, but you know some, you know something's going to happen. You don't, you didn't really expect it to be Randy. Um, no. But out of him, Dewey and Gail, sorry, Randy. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. In hindsight, it's strange because he doesn't even feel like he was ever on that level. But after the first one, he must have been considered quite an important role. 
Um, I loved him. I fucking thought it was great. Um, but also, one of my favourite deaths in the entire series is when the girls are being escorted by the police officers and the, the two officers quickly get killed and then girls facing the crowd and they have to climb over it. That is some really good, like, tension. I love, I like, it's so it. intense. Yeah. I feel like I hold my breath watching that just in case I fucking wake the bastard up. Like, it's so good. But, like... Going through all that, and you keep expecting him to, to wake up and grab them, and they finally get out, and it looks like they've escaped. But Sydney has to go back to have a look, and then he pops out of nowhere and kills her friend Hallie. Like it's it's so well done. Um, I think again, it's another instance of you don't have to be home alone like you do in the first one to be in danger. Like they're just in the middle of a fucking street. Like anyone could be passing at a time, and they're just unfortunate that no one did. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where you can watch it every time and think it's gonna it's gonna turn out different. It's gonna turn out different. It is so te- it's so well done as well. But every single time you're like, fuck off, Sydney. You don't have to go back. Yeah, just fucking you run. Go just back. go for it. Why would you? In fact, I think when we was watching it, <laughs> they were shouting, "Why fucking would you?" <laughs> the thing is, I'd have just fucking gone. I ain't asked about it. Let him do what he's doing in that car. Hopefully someone else gets him. I'm out of here. Fuck that. And it cost a friend her life. So, Sydney, I know you're playing out, love, but it's sort of that. Um, Sydney. What do you think of the killers in this one, then? Obviously, we've got the big reveal at the end is that Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant, is a, is one of the killers. And he really hints that it's his, uh, that it's Derek Sydney's boyfriend who's been tied to that cross by his, um, what do they call it in America, those houses? In college, oh, um, it's not a sorority. That's the girls, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, he's in. He, his um, housemates from the times that cross for giving his um, chain thing to Sydney, and Mickey kind of hints that they're together, and Sydney kind of believes it for a minute, and then it's immediately proved that that's a lie because Mickey just straight up shoots the poor bastard in the chest, <laughs> and then we eventually get the reveal that it's. Debbie Salt, the journalist who's been following Gail around, and it turns out that she's just Billy Loomis's mum, which is interesting because you never quite realise when you're watching it, but she that is the first time Sydney sees her because Sydney recognises her immediately. And once you see that, you're like, oh shit, yeah, these guys never actually interacted throughout the entire film. So the, yeah. it's not something you, you actually notice at first. But what do you think of bringing Billy's mother into it? I I didn't know it was Billy's mum, but I guess that she was the like, like she's a fucking killer. And if you watch it, like watch it again, watch it a second time, it's so obvious because she's so. It's like she's forced into a lot of scenes where she's not really needed, and she's it's almost like constantly reminding you that she's there. But then I didn't notice until the second time when we watched it that. Um, um, Timmy Oliphant's character just kind of disappears for the entire movie. Like he's yeah. just gone. Like he's in one scene near the beginning and then he's just gone. So that one felt a little bit more like a bit more of a surprise because you just completely just forget that he's in the movie. And what was his motivation again? I he wanted can't... to be a famous serial killer. Is that it? Yeah, because he wanted to blame the movies in the court. He wanted to get famous off of it. Of course. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a bit too meta at that point. Uh, whereas. Yeah. Um, more of a social commentary that just I mean not as memorable as the first two I don't think Um, but yeah I mean I think when you've got such a high standard of killers from the first film it's hard to top and it was very very hard to top and Billy Loomis' mum is a a great twist but I did did expect 
the the character that character to be the killer or yeah. the, the twist of it being the mum is is really clever and I actually like that. Um Timmy for elephants, I think it's just so they could have two killers again. Yeah. Um but yeah not as not as strong as the first film. So with all that said is it going above the first one? Well this one has Sarah Michelle Geller in it. <laughs> but even with that I don't think Neither of us are going to agree that Scream 2 is better than Scream 1. No, because this has Sir Michelle Gellar, but the first one has Hem- Henry fucking Wink- uh, Winkler, so I don't know about that. The Fonz trumps yeah. all. It's a fair point. It's a very fair point. Now, it's... I don't think you can... You can't rank it higher than the first one. Definitely no. Not. I'm not even taking notes. Nobody's going to remember who's done more. I need to a pen and paper. Here comes the phone. Um, but... Yeah, no, you can't in good conscience rank it higher than the first one because while it's good and it has its strong moments, like with the car scene in the crash police car and Randy's death, like I don't think anything anything kind of matches the feeling the first one kind of gives you. Yeah, that's fair then. So at the moment we're going... What a great argument you just gave me, yeah. I mean, I agree. The first one is too is is iconic. The second one's good, but I think it has that unfair disadvantage where it comes directly after the first. It's got so much to live up to, and it just can't. Um, yeah. I don't think any horror movie can. It has some great scenes in it, though. I really like the um, the bit where she's on stage and then the bit in the the bit in the canteen when Derek sings. <laughs> what is do? Was you floating the idea of just stopping the podcast? Was you? <laughs> no, the bit where she's fucking, she's rehearsing a play, and they're all there, and like it's a really clever touch that they've all got like the Greek masks on, and obviously they're all like really deformed faces that can very quickly like be conf- even in real life could like if you traumatic like traumatized from it, you could easily confuse it for a ghost face mask. But then as you're doing it, and then you see ghost face as she's kind of like spinning around and stuff. I, I really like that scene. I think it's really, really clever. Yeah, I also like the dynamic between Gail and Dewey in this one because in the mm. first one, he's a lot more naive mm. um, to her and he's not quite aware that she's like using him to get the scoop that she wants. Whereas in this one, he's very aware of who she is as a person and like that fun dynamic where they're obviously at odds at the beginning and then they grow much closer throughout. And the scenes in the university where they get, where they're in like the big lecture hall and it looks like they're about to get it on and then that screen turns on with all the different victims before they were killed and they end up getting chased by the ghost face and it looks like Dewey's been killed in that room. Is yeah, yeah. really good stuff. Like, I really like that stuff. Though somebody should have taught David Arquette how to walk with a limp. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I'm glad he, he, I'm glad he drops him later on in the film because, especially in screen three, I think it's worse in screen three, that guy does not know how to properly convey a limp. <laughs> But it's good that they kept, they brought they yeah, called that back. They, like they, they gave him injuries and then they, they kept him, which is yeah. like I was really kind of hoping the second like the first film, him being Ghostface doesn't make sense. But like with the injuries, but then Ghostface still moving dead quickly and being dead strong, but him having the injury like that's a good fake out. Like if he was to be yeah. based on that one, that would have been a great fake out. Yeah, it would. It would. I'm not sure how many people, how people would have felt about Dewey becoming a killer because he's obviously one of the most beloved characters in the series. But that would have been really fucking smart. But it just feel like every time, it, well, from what I've read, every time it looks like every time a film, um, a screen films come out, everybody's gone. It's going to be Dewey this time. <laughs> Even I was like, when Screen Five was coming out, I was like, it makes sense for Dewey, right? 
Yeah, I'm surprised no one, no victim snapped yet. I'm really surprised that no one snapped and like turned and become the killer after being a victim before. Man, that that would be quite a clever twist. Um, we'll move on then to Scream Three, which after the first two take place as Sydney's going through education in school and college. This one is just in Hollywood and it's immediately a different ball game altogether. We get the most of the cast are just are actually the characters are cast members from the new Stab movie, um, which is taking the meta commentary from the first two to an entirely different level, which I'm not sure works perfectly. I think there's it's there's issues in certain bits, but um, yeah, it takes the entire story to Hollywood. We've got all the backstory that they decide to include with Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott, and her past life as an actress back in the day, and her uh, the behaviour, the poor behaviour that she received from like studio executives back in the day. Which, considering this movie was like produced by Harvey Weinstein, is like makes your skin crawl. Um, yeah. But yeah, the cast of characters we've got all these different actors um, playing actors. Um, it's quite interesting because we've obviously got different people playing versions of like Dewey and Gale and Sydney and stuff and how that all plays out, which is quite interesting. We've also got the main characters back that survived the second one. We've got Sydney, we've got Gale, we've got Dewey, and we've got, of course, Cotton Weary, who, after saving Sydney at the end of the second one, is now a talk show host, which I think is fucking brilliant, but... In probably tracks, my second that's for real life, let's be honest. That's what I'd that's what I'd what what would happen. Yeah. But um after the first one, I think this is my favorite opening to any of the screen movies where Cotton's out in the car after doing his show and he gets a phone call and it immediately changes the rules where it's not the ghost face voice, it's a woman's voice. And we soon find out that the killer in this one can manipulate different people's voices, which at the time it felt a bit ridiculous, but now with like AI and stuff, it, it's quite a realistic thing that could happen. But in this one, it's it uses a fake woman to lure, uh, like flirt with Cotton for a bit before revealing it's a killer who's at his house with his girl, girlfriend in the house. And then he rings her and uses Cotton's voice, which is quite creepy because she, that must be terrifying thinking your fucking partner's like trying to kill you. And all the while he's trying to get back. Um, and he eventually gets back and he gets to her but because of the call she's convinced that he's trying to kill her so she won't um, I think does she hit him with a fucking golf club yeah, she yeah. just refuses to let him help her and then it's because of that that the killer comes out and gets them both which as a big Cotton Weary fan was devastating because I think the character is one of my favourite in the series but what an effective way to open it by killing off one of the main characters from the last one who had such a big role what did you think of that opening? Because like I said, it's one of my favourites. Yeah, I love the opening. It's a great. It is a great opening. And I mean, as soon as you hear the woman's voice, you know it's you know something's not right, and you know like. But it also kind of sets up like a different kind of a different kind of killer. Um, and you, I, I remember going in thinking, all right, we're gonna. It's not just gonna be Ghostface. It's probably because you know you, you know what happened with Scream Three. Yeah, but it was script. supposed to be Mafia Willard. And goddamn Columbine school shooters completely changed it. So, well, which is why I think Screen 3 feels very disjointed at times because it was a bit more of a change and had to lighten it up um, because of all that. Um, but 
Yeah, I think it would have been really good, that original idea of like a cult of ghost faces. Rather yeah, that than... were all being dictated. So yeah, if anyone doesn't know, that's oh, yeah, yeah. watching. The original plan for Scream 3 was for Stu Macker, the killer from the first one, played by Matthew Lillard, to be revealed to be alive. And I think he's in prison at the time. But he's developed like this cult following of all these worshippers that are obsessed, as serial killers actually do in real life, which is bizarre to say, but they do there are these people that randomly just like follow them and he's sort of developed one of those and he's using it with an entire group that are going to target Sydney. And I think the general, the original plan was for all these characters in it that have been killed off throughout all to show up at the end. And it turns out they were all in on it and they were all targeting Sydney, which would have been good. But like you said, the Columbine high school massacre really threw a span in the works and they scrapped that, which is why I still hold that hope that Stu could come back. They were going to bring him back then. That means they had an excuse for how he didn't die. So there's still an excuse in there, surely. I think this. I think it's been too long. Oh, I mean, even well, say, even saying Scream Six, don't they? Like that's how he died, and you're like, oh no. Butch, that girl says, if you really believe he's dead, so she's fucking feeding the fire. I've only seen Scream Six once, so it's a it's a possibility. I might watch yeah. it again actually before Halloween's over. But um, yeah, what was the same? Uh, about the woman on the phone to Cotton, the opening. Oh yeah, yeah, I think it's really good. Like it would have, it. I mean, it would have been good if it was a cult, but it also kind of settled like this. It, it, this is different. It's going to be different. Like it's not just. Um, and then when you, uh, it's not just the same old ghost face. And then when you kind of learn, he's manipulating the voice. You're like, oh okay, we're going to be in for some fun see, uh, scenes in this one because you know, like, so before the first one, it's like you're not safe alone. The second one is, it doesn't matter if you're alone or if you're outside, you're not safe. And now it's, you can't fucking trust any voice you hear. And, like, it's just that extra, extra layer of, like, fear throughout the movies of that the killer is constantly evolving to basically catch you off guard. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. I love that opening, too. And yeah, Cotton was, was, a great Cotton was a great character. Now yeah. he's it. Yeah, it's just a shame Cotton went because he was great. <laughs> The cast in general, though, um, like I said, the, the majority of it are, are actors that are going to be starring in Stab 3, um, playing different versions of the the main uh, group. But you've also got Scott Foley, the fucking great Scott Foley, playing Roman Bridger, the director, who we always fucking... Because um, my favourite character of his is obviously Sean from Scrubs. Nobody cares. Nobody cares, Sean. He's also in Dawson's Creek and I think he was in a few more things. Um, and he's great. I say nobody cares, Sean, but replaces the name. I replace the name with whoever. Usually Ethan. Nobody cares, Ethan. Uh, yeah, uh, he's great. I like him a lot. He's obviously. great. Um, you've got Patrick Warburton who plays Parker Posey. Oh, shit, Parker yeah. Posey, the actress who is playing Gail, has a security, a bodyguard with her due to everything that's going on. It's Patrick Warburton, who is just fucking great in everything he does. Like, the way he terrorises Dewey is so funny. He calls him Dewdrop, and, like, he's so fucking funny. I love him so much. Um, we've also got Patrick Dempsey. McDreamy. Yeah, as Detective Mark Kincaid, who is, after the no. first two... The word Kincaid is giving me flashbacks. <laughs> My guy, you little bit faced pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's who we needed in this. He'd have put a stop to this shit real quick, let me tell you. <laughs> but yeah, we, so acknowledge, after the first two, you want to say? And we just need, sorry, before you move on, we need to acknowledge 
the fucking go. Carrie Fisher is also in this movie. Yes, Carrie Fisher is in this. Yeah, and I love that scene where she plays a woman that looks like Carrie Fisher. I think that's so so good. She's brilliant. Um, But yeah, after the first two, where we've actually got love interest for Sydney, Patrick Dempsey is more like a hinted at like a potential romance, and we don't ever get any clarification whether anything went that way. There's obviously hints in the later movies where she's with someone called Mark. We don't know if it's him, but she has a husband called Mark. So there, there is the possibility that we'll see Patrick Dempsey again, but in this, he's just a detective who's investigating the murders. And for a while, they kind of hint that he's the one behind it. Like, yeah. There's a lot of like subtle hints that he's the one in like doing it and stuff. But I'm this one... if you finally got your dream of Sydney coming back for like Scream 7, but it's the, co- it's the opening and uh, the killer kills her and Mark in, the, in like the opening. That'd be really effective, to be fair. Yeah. I don't think I'd mind it. Or even if they just kill him. Like, if Patrick Dempsey comes back and they kill him and that's what gets Sydney back with the gang, I think that'd be really well done. Or they kill Sydney and have him be a main character would also be great. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, I don't... I don't. I, it's hard because it feels like I want Sydney back, but I don't feel like... I feel like it'd be an injustice if they ever killed her. Like, I feel yeah. like she deserves to outlast these motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, whereas anyone else can die, anyone else can catch those hands. I don't really mind, but not Sydney. Um, but yeah, obviously, the first two we see how Sydney evolves after the attacks, and in this one, she's evolved in a completely different way. Instead of just getting on with life like she did in the second, she's gone into like hiding and she's in some house in the middle of nowhere, which looks fucking lovely, by the way. That looks like a pretty sweet do. Like, I wouldn't mind living there. But she's obviously got an alias, she's living under a fake name, and she's doing that job where she talks to like trauma victims which I think adds to the character and it just shows like what a great like how strong she is that she's taken this grief and trauma that she's been through but she's using it to help others like fucking Sydney Prescott just, my woman is all I'm saying my woman yeah, I um, think it's a really clever evolution to have her obviously seclude herself but also not stop being somebody that helps like really really clever like yeah. she's still, she is still the hero but in her own very, like, but her character has regressed. It's really interesting. Yeah, I like what they did to her, uh, did to the character. But I'm, what did you think about the stuff where it's kind of a trait that she's gone a little bit batshit because she keeps seeing her dead mom. Like that scene when she falls asleep, but we don't know that. And the, the woman in white just walking through the trees towards the house. I fucking hate shit like that. Oh, God, oh, it makes my skin crawl. Like that, I actually thought was one of the most terrifying things in the film. Um, I'm glad it wasn't like I'm glad they didn't do it where she can see them, she can see her like as she's awake. I'm glad it wasn't like a hallucination or whatever, and that it, that it was quite clearly you could tell when it was a dream and she wasn't like in a main scene and she could see her in the, in the far distance or something because I hate shit like that. Like, I really, really can't stand it, especially. Well, I mean, I suppose in horror movies it's fine, but. Like um, which one? What film? Like, is it? Oh, it's fucking Freddy Three. And he keeps seeing when he keeps seeing Freddy's mom. Unbelievable uh, film. Fuck off. Do you he mean keeps... Jason Three? No. Freddy Three. Is this? The nun in Freddy. That's. that's oh yeah. Freddy. Okay. No, yeah. Do you like these films? Yeah, I remember what you mean now. When you said Freddy's <laughs> well, mom, I was like, eh? When he when he constantly seeing. And, um, and she leads him to the grave and it's her. I can even have in conversations and stuff. And it's just like, I don't like that kind of stuff. But like her going crazy and like not being able to sleep and it like infecting, like haunting her dreams and what have you. I, I like that stuff. Yeah. 
Did you like what they did with Maureen Prescott in general with her backstory yeah. in Hollywood? It obviously, eventually played a major role in <laughs> the killer's um, motivations. Yeah. But you didn't know that at the time. Yeah, I think it's one of them. I don't dislike it. I don't like it. I just like... That, that's the thing. Um, like you say, when you're watching it and you're like, Harvey Weinstein yeah. uh, produced this. And you, you kind of feel like, did the people who make it we're making it now and we're trying to, you know, yeah. make a statement. People <laughs> say that, that people think that Wes Craven was like making some sort of commentary on it, but I don't know. Probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at a certain point you have to kind of disconnect from every, like everything's got to be tied to this character. My same, the same problem I have with Spider-Man 3 in that like Sandman just happened to be the guy that killed Uncle Ben spoilers spoilers for whatever spider-man episode we do um but it's um like not everything has to relate back to the main character all the time um because you've got gail there you've got dewey there who have been through these two things as well like have it connect to them rather than yeah. sydney i think like sydney's the main girl but like just mix it up a bit so i mean i didn't dislike it like the connections to the killer and everything so it was sydney was it sydney's brother yeah yeah, like I don't, I didn't mind it. Like it was, it was fine. Um, it was an, a, again another good twist, barely, barely memorable, uh, memorable. But it was another good twist. But it's just, it's just a case of like, you know how to mix it up because these films literally mix it up every time. Like let, like keep, let's get it away from Sydney a little bit. Yeah, I think what's noticeable about this one for me is that it's the first one that Kevin Williamson didn't write. Like, it's noticeably a drop in like how clever the first two are and it's it's more about like we'll talk about it now because the killer is revealed to be Roman Bridger the director who is actually Sydney's half brother from um her mum her mum's years in Hollywood she got pregnant with Roman and gave him up um and then it goes into the whole stuff where it's like Roman's been pulling the strings all along and he convinced Billy and Stu to do it and stuff like that. And I don't like when they do that, where they bring a character in, in the franchise years later and they're like, yeah, but he's been doing it since the beginning. Like, no, he fucking hasn't. Like, yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't even like pulled off that effectively either. No. Like, there's no hints in the other films that they were manipulated in any way. And I get yeah. that it's like retroactively retconning it and whatever, but like... He wasn't that great of a character. He wasn't that memorable and great of a character to do that. Maybe if he was in Scream 3 and then in Scream 4, then it was like your chance to build it up. But I don't think he was memorable enough to, to, to do that. And I agree with you. Like, I don't like it when films go back and change things. For this. Again, the Spider-Man 3, Sandman thing. Like, I don't, uh, I hate when they kind of do that. Sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it's pulled off really cleverly. But this one, the writing in this one doesn't, doesn't help it at all like yeah. also my issue with like the first one's iconic the second one is a relation to billy so it's a familial connection again the third one is a familial connection to to sydney it, it just seems a bit like let let's move on and it, it doesn't the next next film in the franchise keeps it close to home as well but like it just it just feels like oh, this is the big twist. I'm a family member. And it's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, while I think it's really impressive that um, Roman is the only, Scream 3 is the only Scream movie where there's only one goal. So it's like Roman did everything on his own. He's also quite stupid because he's got this voice changer, but he still talks to the actress that he made at the beginning with his own voice. 
like he uses his voice to talk to her. So she tells people she's going to meet Roman. So he immediately puts himself in the crosshairs of the police anyway. Like, well, if you can use anyone's voice, why would you use your own? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. That's a fair point that I've not thought Because about. then the police arrest him at the on the set because, like, she said she was going to meet you when she was killed, so he gets arrested for it. It's like, fucking, why would you use your own voice, you dumb fuck? And then he go, comes across a bit whiny when he's, like, facing Sydney about how his kids has done this because she had a life he didn't. And even she calls him, like, pathetic and stuff. And I think that he could have been much more intimidating. He came off like a little bit of a wimpy bitch, whereas it's a shame because, like I said, I love Scott Foley, but Roman Bridger isn't a great character. Um, and I don't think many of the deaths after Cotton's are that memorable either. Obviously, you've got the actor who played Dewey, who plays Dewey in the fictional film, who blows up in that house when they're reading the um, the faxes and it says, like, and the lights go off, so he uses his uh, lighter to read it and the gas was leaked. That's a good one. But other than that, I don't think there's that many memorable ones. Um, um, is, the bit, is the bit where they're running through, like, the, the studios, that's, that's pretty good. But, yeah. Like, Nobody dies. Yeah, no, there's not as is. I can't outside of that the explosion and Cotton Weary's death at the beginning. There's not really that any that I can really even think of. I like the I like the bit where Sydney's running through the set of her house and she yeah. thinks like this door's gonna lead here and it doesn't because it's not a real fucking house. And yeah. then you like she's hanging over her bedroom, the set of her bedroom. I really like that, but again, nobody dies. So no, the. The characters that die at the end in the in the, the big mansion at the, where it all fo- unfolds, like none of them are really that standout. Like that, I think Tyson, the the uh, the actor, gets thrown off the balcony. Um, Parker Posey's character gets stabbed in like the wardrobe. It's like a secret passage behind the wardrobe, and she can see everyone, but they can't see her. And then the other girl kind of just runs away and then just ends up dead. So there's not really much uh, to those ones. I think so, the uh, I think the the big thing with Screen 3 is it's a comedy. Yeah. The other two were funny, but it, they were also good horror movies. Like, this one feels more like a comedy. Like, I think it's telling, very, very telling, that it was made at the same time as Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back, and that, like... They make a cameo. They make a cameo, and then the um, the screencast make a cameo in Jane Silent Bob Strikes Like, Like, it, it kind of feels like this is the tone we want. So this is what's popular at the moment. So let's make it more like this. Scary Movie was popular. Let's make it a bit more like that kind of thing, which yeah. I don't think really helped it. I mean, this it's stupid, and I love sometimes do love a stupid movie, um, but it's just not as strong because it doesn't feel as consequential, or yeah. you're never really worried because at this point, the only like the biggest tragedy to happen in this film. Like that, you're genuinely concerned for somebody is Courtney Cox's haircut. Jesus, yeah, the that is terrifying. The worst haircut in the history of cinema, I genuinely believe. Yeah, I don't know who, why they did it that day. Like, stand up for yourself, Courtney Love. Don't let that happen on screen. Courtney you can't Cox do that. Somebody else. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, really bad. Well, you um, just, you just, you just genuinely never. Like, I never feared for Sydney. I never feared for. Dewey, I never fe- feared for um, Gail. Everybody else, I was like, you could die. I'm not for. Yeah, the characters aren't that memorable in this one. There's not many that you care about. No. Um, obviously, we loved we loved Derek in the second one, but like in this one, there's just no one on that level, is there? No, nobody on the level of Derek. Um. So yeah, is this above the second one? Nah. 
No, it can't be. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> like it is funny, and like I do enjoy watching it because it's it is it can be really like silly, and I quite like the silliness of it sometimes. But it's just it's not a better movie than the second one. No, um, yeah, it is rewatchable, and I do like certain aspects of it. And like I said, the opening is one of my favourites, but the overall movie, I don't think it is close to the first and the second for me. Um, the characters just aren't as memorable. The deaths aren't. The villain's not as good. So yeah, it's definitely the third best so far. Well, because the the like the setup for it all of we're making a screen movie, uh, a stab movie, and the cast are the victims and um, and all of that. Like it's being set in Hollywood, being like this big. It could have done something like some really good stuff with it, and I just feel like it was really wasted. Yeah. Yeah, hundred um, percent. The the video that we put out today, I, I included that theme in the Instagram video because it is one of my favourites. It's where the row of ghost face costumes are like that's up. good, and then he just kind of goes, and you can yeah, see that's him good. Like, now I'm watching, that's good. Now I like that bit. Yeah, and also. I mean, we've already ranked it there. I'm going to move on a set, but I just wanted to quickly shout out the fact that they do bring Randy back somehow and he yeah. ends up just being a video recording where he explains the rules and he explains that he actually lost his virginity, which is why he died in the second one. Um, I think I that's, like, that's really well done. The casting of his sister as well is perfect. Like, Yeah, yeah, it is. It feels like they, you could, they do feel like they'd be related. Um, yeah. Apparently, originally, they, they were going to just bring him back and said, like, He'd been he'd gone into hiding after he'd been attacked in the second, but they were like, "It's ridiculous. We saw him dead, so let's just fucking do a recording instead." Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad they did because I like Randy, but I feel like it would have been clutching at straws to say survive. We literally see him dead with his eyes open. Yeah, yeah. Every time there's a screen film, you're like, "Come on, Stu." Well, she was supposed to be in the third. He's yeah. in the background of the second. That motherfucker's about somewhere. You know, you know, if they bring him back, they'll use that cameo in the second one. I, I think they should and all. I think it's quite clever that they did that. It kind of it does set up the possibility that it could happen. Although it is funny to think if he was a mass murderer, he could just stroll in under disguise and not have noticed. <laughs> like there's no chance. Um, but yeah, well, so know, he dressed up in a ghost face costume and his uh, um, his girlfriend didn't even know, unless that was Stu that killed her in the garage. But yeah, I don't, yeah, maybe. I reckon that was Stu. You know. Yeah, it's never really. I think that's another good thing. He's never really explained who kills who. No, I think in the second one, they touch on that Billy's mother kills Randy because oh. he's mouthing off and she gets angry, so she drags him in. But other than that, I don't think there's many where it does explain, oh, it was him at this house. It was him, it was him that did this one. Like, you don't really know. You just kind of just got to assume, leave it to interpretation. I don't know. I think I'd assume in the first one, Stu kills the principal because he heads back as yeah. they're leaving and then minutes later the principal gets killed but you don't actually know and I don't and I think it's good that they don't really explain too many there's a couple yeah. where one of the characters will say yeah I killed this person or something but for the most part you kind of just got to guess which I think works better agreed so at the moment we've got it what in order of release essentially we've got the ranking is one two and then three after we the should. third one which was originally supposed to end the franchise as a trilogy they decided to bring screen back in 2011, 11 years later, and it brought Kevin Williamson back on the script and Wes Craven back again. And we decided to go back to Woodsboro for the first the, time. You can tell we've got Kevin back on the script with this one. Yeah. And it goes back to Woodsboro for the first time since the first one, which 
I enjoy. It's obviously focuses on a, an entirely new set of high school students, including Sydney's cousin Jill, played by Emma Roberts, and it bring it follows Sydney, who's now a successful author who's just wrote a book and she's doing a book tour and she's just come back to Woodsboro for the um, to promote it. Dewey's now the sheriff of Woodsboro, fucking my guy running things. And Gail's his wife, like they actually got married, like, yeah. and she's kind of like some unsatisfied writer who's trying to write fiction instead now and she just can't quite get it done. But 11 years later, a lot had changed and you can sense that in the movie, like the rules were different, the, the way the killers operated. But the beginning is fucking brilliant. I love the beginning of Scream 4 and it's where it kind of, it's like a bait and switch. We see like several openings where the first one is, I think like Stab 5 or something like that. And we watch the characters and then all of a sudden they both die. And I think they immediately reveal that there's two killers in that. And I thought, oh, usually that's like a wait till the end. And then we see that it's stab. And then we see um Kristen Bell. Is it? And is it is it Anna Packing with it? Anna Packing, yeah. Yeah, those two together. And then that turns out that's another stab movie. And then it's funny because those both use well-known casts. Like I think the first stab one had. Lucy Hale, who did Pretty Little Liars, and the girl, I can't remember her name, but she was in 90210, which was obviously, they were both big shows at the time. And then we got uh, Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. And then the actual real life was just two unknown actresses that I've never seen in real life. It's quite funny that they did it in that that order. I like that. I also like that um, every time they reveal it's another movie, like the phone technology gets better, like it goes through the years. Like the phone technology gets better and better with each with each fake out. I, yeah. I really, really enjoy. It. You said that Scream Three is your second favorite opening. Scream Four is my second favorite fucking opening. I it is a good it. one, and I'd love to watch the stab movie that includes time travel. Let's fucking go! I want that movie. I mean, that'd be brilliant. I'd love that. Um, but yeah, that's a good opening with the the two. It's very similar to the first, though, in the sense that it's two high school students, home alone. They both eventually get killed, and then we kind of transition into the next day with Sydney arriving in town and stuff like that, and the kids finding out about the murders. So that bit is very similar to the the first one in the sense that it's these two high school students that are connected in some way to the main group. Um, I think in this one. In the first one, Casey Becker had a thing with Stu. And in this one, uh, one of the two girls at the beginning had a thing with Jill's boyfriend. Um, I can't remember his name. That shows how... Corley Culkin's other brother. Less... No, no, it wasn't It wasn't him. It was... because I mean, it's eventually revealed that they're working together later on, but it's her boyfriend. Is it like Derek or something? Not Derek. Oh. Um, the guy uh, who gets shot in the dick. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah, no. yeah. I but yeah, because a lot of the time throughout the movie, he's kind of, they, they play like up to that he could be the new Billy Loomis and like yeah. he's very suspicious. But he's got ties to the girl, which again is like Stu. So there are a lot of similarities in the two, but obviously we're introduced to an entirely, entirely new set of characters, like I said, with Emma Roberts. We've got Hayden Panettiere playing Kirby, who quickly became a huge fan favourite for many people. You've got um, Macaulay Culkin's brother playing Charlie who is like the film nerd in this one. He's essentially like Randy with his best friend, Robbie, who run like the film club at the school. You've got Kirby and Jill's best friend, Olivia. Like it's just an entirely new set of like high school students, as well as Sydney and uh, the main three back. 
like was it, it how do they describe it in this one a requel yeah yeah it's good i think like i said it feels like we each one they're kind of using tropes that have been incorporated in different like franchises over the years and like adding it to screen like doing like the reboot and stuff now all these years later it's like because obviously so many horror movies especially there were a lot of reboots in the late 2000s like with texas chainsaw massacre friday the 13th nightmare on elm street and he like incorporated that into this by saying it was like a reboot um what do you think of the new cast then because i mean i just saw you make a face when it was emma roberts you made the face for Let's, let's let's not talk about it unless I get too excited. Yeah, Emma Roberts and Hayden Panettiere in the same movie. Woo! Um, yeah. Uh, no, great. I, I really like this cast. I think it's probably it might be a tall order, but I think it's probably my second favorite cast of all of the screen movies. Um, and I really like that it's not all about like five and six are all about the new characters. Whereas this one is a kind of a mix of new and old. It's not a hard reboot. It is kind of like we, it, it feels like a, a, a delayed sequel rather than a reboot. Um, yeah, I love the casting. This we've got everybody back. We've got, um, what's his name from the OC as the police officer? Adam Adam Brody. Adam Brody is the police yeah, officer. Yeah, as the police officer. He's great. Yeah, uh, Judy. Uh, we've got Judy. Deputy Alison, Judy Higgs. Yeah, we've got Alison Brie as the uh, publicist. Yeah, like it's such a, yeah it's, she's great. It's all just like again, just really good. And is it no? Who plays this? Who plays Adam Brody's partner? Oh, uh, I can't remember. He's no, he's what, a recognizable face though. Yeah, but he's he's great as well. Like good comic relief characters. Um, yeah, I'm look I, it up while I talk. Yeah, when I finish talking. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I love. I really, 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 really like this cast. No, I, I think I agree with you that I think this is one of the best casts and I love that they bring Emma Roberts in as Jill's cousin and it's like almost portrayed as like a passion of the torch type of deal. Like it feels like they're setting up a future that we've seen in five and six with Melissa Barrera, but it seems like they're setting it up for Emma Roberts to take the reins from Neve Campbell. Obviously, as we get into the film in a minute, that quite clearly isn't the case and things take a huge turn and it's probably for me one of my favorite ghost face reveals um we'll touch on it now then the ghost faces you don't find the actor is that why you were no i haven't found it yet um (laughs) i don't know i can't see his name but um yeah the ghost (laughs) face in this is obviously it's revealed to be jill who had been positioned as the new version of sydney and it's a huge twist that sydney's cousin who we thought would be the next final girl is actually the one behind the murders and joining her is Charlie. Anthony Anderson, just so we can give her the right credit. Anthony Anderson. Yeah, he's a recognisable name. Like I've seen him in, I've seen his face in quite a few things. Um, But yeah, having Jill and Charlie be revealed as the killers and it's one of my favourite versions of like the motive where in the past it's been very revenge based, but in this it's like, there's no revenge. We just, we want to be, the fame we want to be famous we want to we've seen the fame that you guys have got and we want that we want to be this generation's we want to be this generation's like sydney and randy um i think it's brilliant i think like i said having it be revealed to be emma roberts was such a good twist i don't think anyone anyone saw that coming no i didn't 
and I didn't guess him as the killer either, um, which is really good. Like, especially like considering that, like, part of the plot is that Ghostface now like filming his kills. It makes sense that he's the killer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having Jill as the killer, like, absolutely. I agree. It's one of the better. It is one of the best or better reveals because you are in these kind of requels for the for the term. It's, it is the passing of the torch. So for her to be the killer, and for a moment at the end, I was like, she fucking got away with it. Like Sydney's dead. <laughs> yeah, it did look that way. Um, which would have been a great, which would have been a great twist and a great way to. Um, reboot the franchise um like have her you know have sydney die then have jill be the killer in that one but then be the victim in the like a next one because people are trying to kill her because they know she's a fraud or something would have been great still preferred how it ended up with fucking sydney wrecking shot um yeah don't fuck with the originals it was like <laughs> yeah. sydney prescott and that bit where she um the bit where she's like got to make it believable and like chucks herself into the fucking glass table great and against the wall i uh, yeah i really like i really like the reveal in this one yeah that scene when like you said there when she is she's she she turns on robbie and not robbie charlie and she's they go to do the stabbing between that um billy and Stuart at the beginning they're going to stab each other and she actually just goes directly for his heart to kill him um so because she intends to frame him and Position him with Trevor, Trevor, her ex-boyfriend, Trevor, that was his name, um, as the brilliant stew. Um, and then she proceeds to like throw herself through the coffee table. She smashes herself into that frame. She grabs like Sydney's hand. Oh no, not Sydney's. Whose hand is it? Is it Trevor's who's dead? And she like scratches her own yeah. face and pulls uh, her uh, Yeah. It's a really intense scene, but I think it's like one of the best in the franchise. Like it's uncomfortable to watch and it shows how deranged Jill is. I mean, like, not that we need it because she admits earlier that she killed her own mother. Like, she stabs her mum. Yeah. Like, it's pretty like wild. When she, like, crawls up to Sydney and then, like, has that dramatic um, survivor pose next to next to. Yeah, Sydney. she copies the body, yeah. Yeah. It's um, just shown, like, she's desperate to be famous and, like, the length she'll go to. It's one of the best motives. Um, but some of the kills throughout, I think, are really well done as well. Like, even... Olivia, their friend who's in the bedroom and they're across the street and the killer's on the phone saying, I'm in the I'm in the closet and they're like, no, you're not. And he's like, I am. And they open it and they're like, I told you. And he said, I didn't say yours. And he jumps yeah. out at Olivia's house and just, like the mess that he leaves her in when Sydney goes around and she sees it. It's fuck. It's like it probably was, one of the goriest deaths in the entire franchise. It's a really fucking, really, really strange connection that I make in my head every time I watch the screen. For you've seen Daddy get Daddy Daycare, and you sure? Yeah, a long time ago. You know, yeah. When he goes into the toilet, when the kid said he's been to the toilet, and he looks around and there's the horror music playing. That's every time uh, Sydney walks into that room, that fucking scene plays in my head. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to look at it because it's one of the most like grotesque in the series. I think like you literally intestines out and everything. But that's another that scene obviously shows when Sydney's confronted with Ghostface and she just straight up fucking like kung fu kicks him in the chin. And it's yeah. another instance of like the evolution that Sydney's gone on. She's not like the victim anymore. Like she's willing to fucking throw hands and she can come out on top. And it's another, like I said, it, it continues that development, which I think works so well throughout. And it 
emphasizes that she's fucking great. That's what that's all I'll say. I love Sydney Prescott. Um but yeah, some of the deaths Alison like Breeze death's good too. Which one's yeah. I? Alison Breeze death. The yes, that's brilliant, yeah. Um, you know, trying to like she realizes like he cuts the car, the, the, cuts the starter and all that, and she's trying to escape, and then they're doing the bloody <laughs> the police conference, and she just fucking drops on top of the van. Yeah, Bro. that's a good one. That is a good one because she's obviously she's running to like the elevator, and like as she gets there and turns, he just like he's behind her instantly and just stabs her in the chest. Like, that's, that's really good. My favorite thing about that one is when he stabs her, he like he holds it and he stares at her as she goes down. And then he hears yeah. a noise and he's like, oh, what the fuck was that? And then scarpers. Yeah, yeah, that's a really well done one. I like the off the police officers outside when he scares him at the car and then he stood outside and as he stood outside, the ghost face pops out of nowhere and runs behind him. And then um, the other officer gets stabbed in the head and he, he says, fuck Bruce Willis. Because yeah. they've been talking like only Bruce, Bruce Willis is the only police officer in a film that can survive. Um, that's a really it's funny a good, one. It's a good moment. It's a good moment. We touched on Jill's mum who gets stabbed when she's held at the door, like through the letterbox bit, which is quite a sad one actually. Um, because she even touches on it. I mean, they, they play it for jokes when they say, like, Sydney's got scars and she says, I do too, or something. And they went, No, we mean physical ones. But she obviously shows that she's been for a lot, like, because it was her sister and no one really ever reflects on that. Um, yeah. so it's sad that she gets killed off in that fashion. And then obviously the kids at the house, Trevor gets shot in the dick. And then in the head, which is just fucking grim. Um, Robbie, who's outside with, he's got that camera and he, he's, he's drawn, the camera on backwards. And he's yeah. got it backwards and he's trying to fix it. And he looks and he sees the ghost face behind him. And he tries to save himself by revealing that he's gay, which used to be a get out of jail free card for horror movies, apparently. But again, that's an instance where now we put his different rules in the uh, 2010s and he just gets fucked up anyway. Um, and technically it's not a death, but for a while it looked like it was. But the scene when it's obviously a callback to the first one where Charlie's then um, tied to the chair outside and Ghostface on the phone and he's making Kirby answer trivia and she just names all those different horror movies and the phone goes dead and she thinks she's got it and she goes outside to save him, unties him and she says like she fucking won and then the reveal where he just stabs her like fucking hell that is that is a shocking twist. Kirby's but, a great character in of all the film nerds of all the films I I'm going to say something you're not going to like I prefer Kirby over Randy that is fucking blasphemous you scumbag bastard <laughs> <laughs> no I like Kirby a lot that's as well what, I do. that was uncalled for <laughs> it was you right I don't know why you said it Kirby <laughs> over Randy <laughs> no I think she's great and I think for a while like, like I said we thought that were it like because she just doesn't show up again. It did seem like that was her death. And I'm glad that, not to spoil too much about the next one, they do eventually bring her back. But the scene when, because it just looks like she saved Charlie and then the fact that he was playing possum all along and he was the killer, yeah. it's so well done. But it's, a, it's, a, it's one of them great twists on the first movie where the, it, you know you know something's going to be different, but you don't know quite what. Um, and the fact that, yeah, that she goes out and he, he that's the reveal of the first killer. You're like, yeah, that's fucking clever. Yeah, it was really well done. And I just think the cast seemed a little bit smarter. Like when Sydney and Jill are hiding upstairs and Jill goes under the bed and Sydney climbs out onto the roof, when the ghost face comes, she's like shouting like, oh yeah, Jill, go get the cops. So that the killer thinks Jill's run away and hears that the cops are on the way so they might leave. Like stuff like that, you just don't really see that often in horror movies. So it was just like an instance where, oh yeah, these characters are actually fucking, they got brains 
Yeah. Their heads. Like they actually we know what they're doing. Wonder and having it happen three times in that world already. Yeah. I do yeah. like when like when they go and got all the, the ghost face decorations up on do is like, let's get these down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like fair enough. Like this is for, kids died, like it's wild that they celebrated like that. I don't think Dewey has a lot to do in this movie, but Gail is great in this one. Yeah, I mean, Gail she, really takes control of an investigation. When she goes to the Stabathon, like, yeah. when she's in, is it in the front of the crowd where she does the, she's got the mask on and she's like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that Gail, I think for me, this is my favourite version of Gail mm. because she's not doing it for the, um, she's not doing it for her own gain at this point. Like in the first few, it was all about her and like how she can make money off it. Whereas this one, she's genuinely interested and she's trying to help the police, but they don't want it. So she's willing to go do it on her own. And it shows the growth in her character. And that scene when she gets all the camera stuff, she gets in the car and they immediately start getting covered. So she goes out to have a look. And then I think it's Dewey shows up and sees the camera. Like it's so, and watches her get attacked. I think it's really well done. After three movies, you wouldn't, if you watch them get covered, you wouldn't fucking go out there. You'd, no. you'd think, yourself that's not fucking right i'm going on after three movies if something like this is going on i'm saying to someone we just we just spend every minute of every day together i'm never spending any time alone i don't give a fuck oh i'm just leaving woodsboro fuck that shit i'm gone I'm if, straight up gone if there was a murderer on the loose now and it who's who's the most likely to be revealed as a murderer me or you that's an interesting one actually i don't know it'd be it'd be a double job Nobody, yeah. nobody would nobody would expect us to work together so seamlessly. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, that's true. That'd be quite a clever one. Not that anyone should ever use this as evidence if it ever comes out that there is one and tries to frame us with it. Um, but yeah, I think I think because of the the way like the twist it plays on the first one because it obviously calls back to the first movie a lot and it's supposed to be like. I think the be- if you've taken the entire franchise, I think the two best movies to watch together, if you are doing a double goal, would be the first and this, because it is so similar, but also so different. Um, and I think... I, I, I think special. this one and five make for good pairings as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, what I like about four, like five does the Force Awakens kind of thing with Scream, where it does beat for beat, the same exact same plot, but mixes it up a little just enough for it to feel different. Whereas this takes, it looks at the first one and kind of like acknowledges it, but still does its own thing. Yeah. Which I think, uh, which I do think is better. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so smart what they do with this one. And the script is easily one of the most like intelligent and it's, it's a, it's a, I mean, I don't think it got great reviews when it came out, but I can't wrap my head around why, because I think it is one of the strongest. So would you have this, Below or above Scream 3? Above. Above. What about Scream 2? Above or below Scream 2? I will put it above Scream 2. I think I agree. I do. do think, I think I agree, yeah. I process these feelings. <laughs> do you think you agree because you know it's the right answer because you don't really want to agree with me, so you're just questioning yourself? No, I think I do think I agree. I think I think the characters, like we said, the characters are better. I think I think the opening in this one's better than Scream 2. I think the killer reveal is way better. I think the motivation's better. Uh, it's different to everything else. And I no, I agree. I think this one is really, really well done. Um, yeah, I think... Two. Two feels like a sequel. 
yeah, this one feels like, like we said, it is essentially like a reboot, but it also isn't in a sense. It's like, I don't know how to describe this one. Um, it feels like a smart continuation. Like, yeah. Scream 2 feels like a sequel, which Scream 4 is also a sequel, but it feels like we need a sequel. Let's change it up. Let's try and do something new without changing it up too much. Whereas this one contradicts what I've just said because I've just said it's referential to the first one, but it does. It feels like a natural continuation of the story rather than let's just pump a sequel out, which two and three do feel that way. This one, I don't know if it's the writing, the setting, or um, the way it all plays out, but it, it does genuinely feel more linked to the Scream story than the other two do. Yeah, and I think, like you said there with um, the writing and stuff, it does feel like a lot more thought was put into this, where those other two, it felt like, yeah, we need to get these out, capitalise on the success. Whereas this one, it felt like they really thought about like the story and the motivations, and they, they come up with, like, it's fucking clever. Like, I think it's brilliant. Like, I can't stress enough how impressed I am with like the stuff we do and stuff. I think it's so good. Um, like, that motivation and having who we thought the torch was being passed to actually be the one behind it all. And the stuff in the hospital at the end, which we haven't even touched on, where it turns out Sydney survives, so Jill goes to find yeah. like, finish her off. Definitely, and that bit when... realises. Yeah, when Dewey and Gail are talking and she says, and he says, oh, he, uh, you sh she said you guys should write a book together because you both got um, does it stabbed in the left shoulder or something like that. And Gail yeah. says, how does she know which shoulder? got stabbed in and he's like oh shit and he runs in and gets immediately bashed with that fucking toilet seat thing you know what I mean like Dewey doesn't get anything Dewey doesn't get anything in this movie no no he doesn't that feels like Dewey most like he's, he's there to get beat up and then somehow survive like but he's so oh, lovable when he does it one. you are in the next one oh, Christ yeah um but yeah I think that ending like we said when Sydney fucking shocks thing in the head is just so good and yeah, I can agree that this is better than the second. I think from top to bottom, it's just there's not much it's worse in. I think if this was like um, a, a showdown and we were doing them against each other, I don't think there's many categories where this one would lose. So yeah, in with that logic, I have to put it above it. There's there's a very very small scene near the end of I don't think it might be the last shot. I can't remember um, where the reporters are outside the hospital talking about waiting to hear from the survivor. I think it must be. I think it's just after she's been killed. It is the very last shot, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just such a clever way to end it. Yeah, talking about the hero, Jill Roberts and stuff. Not Jill yeah. Roberts. I can't remember what her last name is. Prescott. <laughs> yeah, sure. But yeah, talking about like what a hero she is, and she's like this, the, um, the victim of a generation and stuff, and then it's, as the hearing the journalist saying it, you see like the corpse. It is fucking brilliant. Like, it's a really good ending. But yeah, so we've got it above two, but would you put it above one? No. No, thank fuck for that. I thought we were about to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite there, is it? No, it's great. And it is more of a screen movie than screen two and three, which feels a bit odd to say. But it, yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's nowhere near the first. And if that, if that can't get if that can't get above screen one, I don't think we're going to have many that. I don't think these next two are going to cut the cut the chin No, well, we'll move on then to screen five, which after I think it was a ten, not eleven year hiatus, which is mad to think the gap between three and four was the same as the gap between 
four and five. The gap between three and four felt so much longer. But you know what? Actually, before we move on, I do want to mention something about Screen Four that I really can't fucking stand. What's that? That it was in films all the time, and I fucking hate it. That horrible screen effect, that bloom, like that's in Twilight and other films mm. of that generation. Like it makes everything look so shit. Like just release it without that effect over the lens, like not over the lens, but over like like that filter over the over all the things. It just makes it everything look so weird. Yeah, I think there was something going on at the time. Everyone was buying onto that, weren't they? I think it was just part of the part of the trend in like those kind of movies. The, the studios wanted everything to look that kind of way, look somehow make it look modern and up to date and technologically advanced and digital by making everything look bloomed and washed out i don't know yeah well i'd like to see it as scream making comment making a commentary on the fact that other films are doing it at the time yeah that's the excuse i'm going with maybe maybe um, if they said oh we're releasing a scream 4 version without that bloom effect over it but it's 40 quid i'm like it's fucking it's fucking 40 quid yeah yeah i i don't know to be honest i think i don't think i'd ever really even noticed it that much but oh, you would yeah, probably no. You probably ruined the film for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll move on then. <laughs> we'll move on then to Scream Five, which Scream Four kind of felt like it was hinting at a passion of, of the torch, which turned out to be a major like trick. Whereas Scream Five is definitely a passion of the torch movie, as we see the new cast brought in, which stars Melissa Barrera, who was obviously famous from. Um, in the Heights, and I don't know, I'm not, that's where I've seen her from. I'm not sure I'd seen her in anything else. Um, it brings in Jenna Ortega, who at the time I don't think was as big a deal as she, as she is now. But obviously, touching on the opening, she the decision not to kill her off feel, it seems smarter by the day because she's becoming a superstar right now. So it probably helps them that they've got someone like that in the cast. Um, they bring in several different new characters, including. Randy's niece and nephew, the twins, um, played uh, Mindy and Chad. There's several different like people from the past that come back. Obviously, Sydney comes back in a majorly reduced role. Same yeah. with um, at the end, isn't she? Yeah, Gail's role is quite reduced. We we see Dewey back, whose life's gone to shit essentially since the fourth one, and Judy Hicks is back with her son. Who didn't get a mention in the last one? Who knew she had a child? Because like he must have been like five or six at the time, and doesn't even mention that she's got a son. I don't think. Um, but he's quite famous. I don't think I've seen him in anything. But he did that for any reasons why. Yeah, is he, he went Percy Jackson. Was he? Was he Percy Jackson? No, he's not. That's Logan Lerman. Oh yeah, but they, they look very very similar. Yeah. Um, but, oh, he was he was in Perks of Being a Wallflower, weren't he? Is that Logan Lemon? That's well? Logan Lemon again. <laughs> no, it's not, is it? Yeah, but he um, was in. He was definitely in that thirteen. In he was in that thirteen reasons why. I know that. Right. And that's where he got famous um, for. But his character Wes is was named after Wes Craven after the director's passing, and this is the first screen movie that wasn't directed by Wes Craven. But we obviously get this entirely new cast of kids. What's up? He's in the Goosebumps movies. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen the first one. But yeah, we've got this new cast of kids at the school with Jenna Ortega um, and her friends. But it's all she's not the main character. It's her older sister, who is now out of school and moved away, who 
she waking like a bowling alley, it seems like, when she's outside in the fucking uniform. I don't know what. It looks like it was like a bowling alley, but she's with her boyfriend, played by the wonderful Jack Quaid, who I think is brilliant. Wow. I love, yeah, Superman. And that show is great, by the way. I like it a lot. Um, but he's also great in The Boys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the difference is, as the main cast take a step back, and we start to really focus on these guys now, and it's... It seems obvious that they're setting up the franchise in a completely different direction. Yeah, um, this is what I meant by like the last one feels more like a a, a a late sequel, but this one really does feel like The Force Awakens, where it's right, we're not focusing on the main characters, aren't the main characters anymore. The supporting. They are, they are the supporting cast. And obviously, this film. I love the motive in this film. Probably my second favourite motive out of all the films uh, from the first one. But um, the fact that not only did they kind of play the film like The Force Awakens by having a legacy character die, having the legacy characters come in, be separated, but then not correcting is the wrong term because I like the sequels, but having Sydney come in at the end and be the hero at the end as well. But she wasn't even the main hero. It still was... Um, uh, what's her name? Melissa Barrera's character. Yeah, what's her name? Uh, I can't even tell you. I know her sister's Tara. Tara Carpenter is the younger sister. Well, Tara's um, sister, well, and we will find out her name because it would be a bit unfair to, to not know her name. Yeah, that's uh, quite terrible that we can't even remember her name considering she's the main Sam. character of these ones. Sam, Sam Carpenter, yeah. Sam still ends up being the main character, even though Sydney does turn up at the end, and Sam is the one that ends it all, even though, like... So you have this... It's, it's a legacy sequel, I think they're called now. I think yeah. they call them legacy sequels. Um, where, yeah, you have all of that, and they're not the main characters anymore. Um, but, yeah, def- this one is 100% more of a... OK, we're passing the torch um, to these new characters over over holding on to the past. Yeah, and despite that, they kind of do harken it back right to the beginning by saying that Sam is Billy Loomis's daughter, and we see these like hallucinations of Skeet Ulrich back as Billy with some pretty shoddy de-aging, um, which <laughs> looks quite bad in my opinion. But um, what do you think that they use that as a major plotline, that Sam was Billy's daughter? Because I'm not sure... I'm a big fan of that. It's probably one of the biggest stretches, unless they bring Stu back. Yeah, I, I think it would be one of the. It is one of the biggest stretches. Is it plausible? Yeah, it, of course it is. Um, but it is definitely one of the biggest stretches. They're saying that. I do like. It does look shocking, but I do like the hallucinations. That's yeah, the, I, that is the legacy. That is the legacy kind of sequel kind of thing to do is bring back somebody that's there's no way they they could be back, but still bring them back anyway. Yeah, and I think it's nice to see him back, just yeah. because he was obviously iconic in the first one. So it was nice to see his inclusion. The first time he popped up, I was excited, but as it went on, I don't. I think it uh, grated on me a bit more. But um, I think the characters are great. I like. The dynamic between the two sisters at first they're obviously not on the same page and they don't quite get along and Sam comes back after years away um, with her partner Richie who is also a good character I think the kids are all 
fine for what they are. I think the ones that survive, it helps them a lot in the next one because the growth's there and the personalities are allowed to shine more. Whereas in this one, I don't feel like they have as much to do or say. But I do like um, the scene where they all go to uh, the Meeks twins' house and we get to see Randy's sister again uh, and the shrine to Randy. Yeah, I like all that stuff. And I like Dewey at first not wanting anything to do with it, but then helping the guys in the end. And he really takes charge on the investigation with them, despite yeah. the fact he's not a cop anymore. He's, like that stuff. he's literally hand solo. doesn't want to get involved, wants to drop him off, get, get out as quickly as he can, and then ends up getting involved and then dies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, touching on that, he's deaf. I kind of knew going into this one. Like, I, I had a feeling. Myself. You are? I meant to prepare myself because I knew... What I kind of I didn't watch trailers as much because I I wanted to go in blind. Um, yeah, I, I kind of knew the setup that it was going to be. It was going to lean into the reboot stuff, and with him being old and split up as you as you're watching, the more you're watching it, you're like, yeah, they are hundred percent going to go the Han Solo route. They're gonna they've got to kill. In one of these films, you've got to kill a legacy. You've got to kill one of the. I mean, that's the rules. One of them's got to die. Um, and it makes the most sense for him because yeah. you could do it for, you could kill Gail, but I don't think it would have been as effective because Gail has always been strong. Yeah. Whereas this is Dewey's probably his strongest movie where he is the strongest character in the movie. Well, not the strongest because he dies, but you know what I mean? Like, But while also simultaneously being a rock, rock bottom, which I think yeah. probably helps his performance. Yeah, and, and that and that very quick growth throughout the film of rock bottom not wanting to help to helping and being the hero, letting helping them escape and everything. I mean, that really helped. Whereas it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked for Gail because Gail has always been on top of every situation in every movie. Yeah, yeah. It was a sad death, though. I think the scene when he's talking when he has that reunion with Gail, which as the actors, it must be quite hard to do something like that considering they they got divorced at this point like it must be hard to work with your ex but they do that scene and then when he goes and they find out uh, i think sam tells him uh, tells him that goes face at the hospital with tara and he looks at gail whether to tell her and then he just like gets in the car i, I thought as soon as it happened i thought that's the last time he ever sees her. i was like this is when it happens i was like shit and then it played out like i thought it would he obviously goes to hospital and we finally see after getting the best of the killer, and I think he shoots them. He goes over to look underneath the mask, and then he just gets fucked, which is just sad because I love Dewey. I felt like it was always going to happen eventually. Like if any of the main three were going to die, it felt like it would have. I mean, the guy should have died like twice already. How he survived Scream Two, I don't know because he got fucked up. But they did a really good job of like building up like how all of the films have had an effect on him. Like when, even when you go into the trailer, it's like a picture of him and Gail and then Tatum, uh, like a, a, a Tatum memory box or like her ashes or something. Yeah, I think like, it's her own, yeah. Yeah, on it, on his shelf as well. Because that's something that's not touched upon, that he lost his sister to it all. No one yeah. ever really touches that Tatum as his sister. It's kind of the same with Jill's mum. Like, like, it was her sister that died. And like, yeah, yeah nobody ever it. it was Tatum that died. And uh, it's a really nice touch to kind of show without saying anything or without spending time on it showing he's carrying he's carrying everything that's happened in these past four movies with yeah. him into this one which but is yeah that's not it was a nice obviously it's nice easter eggs to see stuff like that the Tatum thing and another easter egg we've seen is the video 
which is like a blink and you miss it. I can't remember which character is watching the the YouTube, um, and on the, the clip of the oh. side it says like Woodsboro Survivor Kirby, and then yeah. that was when everyone's brains got taken like, oh Kirby survived, get a fucking back then. Yeah. And we eventually do see it come back in the next one, but um, there's a trend with screen films where they bring a character in and they survive, and then in the very next movie they die. Like Randy dies in the second. Cotton where he comes into the second, dies in the third. And Judy Hicks was obviously introduced in the fourth. And when she was announced to come back, I was willing to bet every penny I had that she wasn't seeing it out of that film. And that seems really interesting because she's the sheriff at this point and she's on the phone with Ghostface who's threatening her son and she races home and it's as she gets out and she's running towards the house and he just steps out of nowhere yeah. and just takes her out in broad daylight. I think That's the most was, shocking one. Yeah, that was really well done, the way they did that. So I really liked the whole scene of her son and I really like the twist uh, I it wasn't me that thought of it originally it was somebody on Twitter that pointed it out uh, and ever since then I'm like that's fucking brilliant but that whole scene is it's a twist on like the hot blonde in the shower and like being stalked in the house and every yeah. time you open the door you're like it's gonna be this time it's gonna be this time and it's not and when he gets the knife pushed through his throat for his throat oh. and it's so slow like it's not a sudden jab it's like slowly because you don't see that very often which i think adds to the gruesome nature of it like usually it's so quick and done that you can't really imagine it but watching him fight against it and it's slowly being pushed in it's like you can see it in his eyes when he realizes he's fucked it and it's like it adds to the moment i think but i think that screen five is well i like a lot of stuff about screen five but it's so much more brutal than any ghost face would seem up to this point yeah so all the kills were really brutal and there was kind of a heaviness to the to the character as well, like to the killer, and some of the shots. And again, it's I've used it in the video today when he's in the hospital and she's like wheeling away, and he's like he slowly looks like he feels more like a they feel more like a stalker in this one. Whenever you get a shot of Ghostface, it's 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 really good, like still shots of him, them. Yeah, yeah, and I like how. The, the way it plays out is the, the victims all have some sort of link to someone from the original, like, um, yeah. except from Tara, which, I mean, it is eventually revealed that her sister is Billy Loomis's daughter, but then the guy that's, like, a bit of a weirdo who gets killed outside the bar is related to Stu Macca, and then the twins who get attacked are related to Randy. Like, a lot of the characters do have some relation to the original cast, which I think is well done. Dewey's obviously from the original um, and I think that's a nice twist, which again harkens back to the first one, very differently to the way the fourth did it. The ending taking place in the same house as well. Yeah, I was so convinced that Stu was showing up when that house showed up. As soon as they showed the house, I was like, "Fucking Stu's here!" We were right all along, and then he wasn't. He wasn't there. So was I. I was convinced that it, it, Stu. This, I, I, and afterwards, I think I said it when we watched it. If he hadn't have turned up in this one, he can't. He can't come after that one. No, that's it. No, definitely can't come back. Now, I don't genuinely don't think he can come back now. And if he does, no. it's, it's stretch. But I also think like I'd love to see him, but after it's been so long, it wouldn't make sense. And it could risk tainting the original performance. Now, that original yeah. performance is one of the best in any horror movie. Like it's, it's probably the best to leave it as it is, but. What did you think about the killers in this one then? Because I immediately called it as soon as he was cast. I immediately said that Jack Quaid was the killer. I don't because care. I don't because care. I'd seen the boys and I'd seen him in that 
obviously playing nice guy, but then he could quite get quite deranged in that. So I knew he could do both sides of the coin. So I had a feeling he would be. So I wasn't surprised when he showed him when it came out that he was. I was surprised that Tara's friend Amber was in on it though, and that he was kind of like maybe a pedophile in a relationship with her. I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure what was going on there. But um yeah, how did you feel about them two being the killers? When I say I don't care, it's not that I'm not saying I don't care, as in I don't care about them. I mean, I don't care what you're about to fucking say. These are my second favourite killers of the franchise. Really? Yeah. Both of them? Amber, not so much, but Richie, I fucking love Richie. And um, the motivation just... I don't know if it's because I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but it just really fucking hit home for me. Because I've been... I've been in them. I've been in them fucking toxic um, fan. I've been around toxic people, fan bases. I've been in their message boards. I've been on Twitter. Like, I'm gonna say it. I'm putting it to film now. Last Jedi is my second favorite Star Wars film. So, Ooh. like, yeah. So I, I understand what it's like to have people like completely disagree with my opinion. So, um, but I mean, I'll never kill anybody because of it. But like, I genuinely have had interactions with people that like are so fucking weird about those movies that this just really hit home for me. I absolutely fucking loved it, and I loved how pathetic they made them and all that. I think it's really, yeah. really clever to make the legacy sequel that plays into all of the legacy sequel tropes, whilst commenting on legacy sequels, but also having the killer be people that don't like what legacy sequels have done to certain characters. Yeah. It's so fucking clever. And Rich is great. I love all the way through the film that he's like, I've never even seen a stab movie. And immediately you're like, it's a fucking killer. But like... Absolutely. Yeah, he weren't fooling anyone with that shit. Absolutely not. But he's so, but he is still so charming. And then when he turns, like I said earlier in the episode, like the reveal of those two and how unhinged they are, I feel that that is, these two are the closest match to Billy and still out of all of them because she's just fucking nuts she's just like infatuated with this guy who thinks that they can do things better than professionals which obviously is never the case um but the bit where she fucking catches on fire brilliant um and ah oh, no i just love him i don't know what else i can say i fucking love him i just think they're so once they finally re- revealed, they just go unhinged, just like Billy and Stu did. Yeah. I think her reveal is so out of left field as well. When they're all just yeah. arguing in the house and she just immediately shoots that girl. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Just shoots Chad's missus. It's like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I've, you've obviously seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, haven't you? Yeah. So have you noticed that's the same girl that's one of the Manson family who goes to the house at the end and gets the shit beat out of her by... Cliff Booth when he throws like the dog through and it crushes her face. So that's, that's I've only ever seen her in two things and in both she gets fucking annihilated. Like Maybe she was really into that kind of thing. Yeah, I think even in I think in that she gets set on fire because she runs outside and she falls in the pool and Leo's in the pool and in this she gets set on fire as well. Like Jesus, this girl has been catching some rough days. But um, yeah, I I quite like. I'm not really asked about her reveal. I don't like that one. She didn't really have much to do before that anyway, other than being Tara's extremely dedicated friend, which I thought was weird. Um, But the Jack Quaid character, Richie, I quite liked that reveal. And like I said, that commentary on the whiny fanboys that are against like these sequels and want to change everything. And it's like poking fun at them, but it's like the most extreme version of them. I do like that. And how much of a bitch he is when Sam gets the upper hand and he's just like, 
his hands like this, he's like crying on the floor. I think it's so good. Um, but yeah, I like, I mean, I like the actor as well. So it was yeah. hard not to like that. I think he gets the best death of the film as well by being constantly fucking ravaged. It's, it's a gruesome one, that, like really yeah. gruesome. You don't see it like, I mean, we said it before, this film, the deaths feel like a step up on most. And like, just to be stabbing him that many times, it was like, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give away like my feelings on the next film a little bit, but the setup for her to be a completely different kind of leading character, only for it to kind of be lost in the in Scream 6. Like they could have had her be, like imagine Scream 6 is opening of like a ghost face like it's stalking from Ghostface's perspective and she just like kills him straight away or something like that because she's got that bloody she's got that Loomis blood in her like yeah. really really tease something really like they could have done something really special with it which is one of the reasons I don't like Six as much as um, some other people do I do really still like Six but yeah I really like um, what they did and how they did it at the ending of that film yeah um We'll touch on it quickly then before we rank it, because I've touched on all of them, but this one with Sydney's development, in this one when Dewey rings her and says there's a, a ghost face killer's back and she's like, well, I'm fucking coming here. Like, she knows what's what this time. And he's like, don't come here. She's like, I won't plan on doing, don't worry about that. She decided to stay away. And obviously but Dewey's death does bring her back in the end and she helps save the day at the very end. She does have that iconic line. She's like, I'm Sydney Prescott. I'm Sydney fucking Prescott, of course, I've got a gun. Um yeah. It's just she. It's like she's a different character in every movie, but in a sense that it's a natural progression. And this one, she's like, "I'm fucking done with it. I don't want anything to do with that. Like, it's not they're not targeting me this time. Nothing to do with me." And it isn't until one of her closest friends dies that she does go back to stop it. And I like that. I think it feels realistic because I wouldn't want anything to do with it. All you're not targeting me. Fucking sand. I'm gone like then. I'm we. I'm we, Mister Kincaid over here. I like with I like the scene with Kincaid. I like the scene with her and uh, Gail when after Dewey's death. That's that's really good. It's emotional. That very very touching scene. You don't see and, them to share that too many of them in the series as well. And like she's trying to impart her wisdom, and Sam's just like, uh, all due respect, I don't care. Like we're going. Yeah, to... first of all, bitch, watch your mouth. That's Sydney you're talking yeah. to. That's my woman. Show some fucking respect. Yeah. Yeah, you fucking ex- you daddy you fucking murdered her mum first of all. So. Have some respect, but no, it's a good film though, and I think it, it had to be coming back all these years later with a new creative team. It's the first one we had Wes Craven, Kevin Williamson wasn't involved, all this new cast. It had to really nail it for them to like justify making more, and I think it did. So, in terms of ranking, above three, yeah, above two, yeah, Above four. Oh, are you agreeing with above two? Uh, I'm just waiting to see how far you're getting up here. So I'm going to see where the negotiation lies. Above four. No, but only just. So you've got it between four and two. Yeah. How are you writing it down? Uh, I kind of did, but it's all just a big squiggle. It doesn't really make fucking sense. I haven't wrote five down. Um. I, I've got it between four and two because I do think it's a really like with what I said about the the legacy sequel and how it plays into it whilst you know being self-aware of it but also mocking it it's I, I genuinely think it's the best 
laid out film since the first one. See, personally, I have it below two. Below two? I, I'd have it below two because I think from the characters in two, like Cotton Weary and stuff like that, to the desk like Randy's and the bit in the car, I just think... I think it's just, I enjoy it so much more. The only thing I think five uh, five is better in is the killer's motivations. I think um, Richie's motivation is better. I think the kills in this one are, but I think Ghostface is much more, like I say, much more menacing, Much feels much more like a menacing presence. Um, whereas in two, Derek. He's great, yeah. No. I don't think I don't think the characters in two are as memorable. Though I will say that I don't like it, how many people survive in five. Yeah, because you've obviously got the two sisters, Sydney and Gail, and the twins. That's six main characters. Like all the main new characters, except for that girl and Amber, die. Yeah, which. Leads into the second. I mean, that's my biggest complaint with the six, but I just think it does everything. Like I said to you before, when we were talking about four, two feels like a sequel that they needed to make to capitalize. This one felt more like a love letter and trying to do something smart rather than like trying to bring it. Because not only did it did it bring it back for old fans, but I think it definitely reinvigorated a love for new fans as well. Yeah. Which is why I'm fighting for above two. I get, I, do you know what? I think because one of the best things about two is the decision to kill Randy, I think. I think because it comes so out of left field. and yeah, he's, he's, not such as, a, he's not as good as Kirby, so he might as well just kill him off. He's fucking better than Kirby. And that death scene is the best in the entire series for me when he's just bad mouthing Billy and Stu. Um, and I think the casting two is better, but I think having having Dewey die in this one felt like a bigger deal than Randy because Dewey had been around so long and he felt like a hero. Randy was the nerd, but I mean, Dewey was obviously more of like a lovable loser, but he felt like a hero at the same time. So having him die felt like a big scalp for the killers. Like that's a huge person to claim. Um, and I like the beginning, the way they switch things up with General Ortega talking about the different like elevated horror and stuff and it really takes into account what's happened since and the lock the the automatic locks on the phone that she keeps locking and it unlocks but also having a survive was different to what we're seeing like every other screen movie open with death and she survives so it was different so i am begrudgingly gonna say yeah i'll we can go above two yes i'll accept that yeah that's fair you clearly care way more about this film than i expected <laughs> Like, I, I didn't really think. Like, I really like Scream Five. Like one, two, and one, three, and five. Three, one, three. four, <laughs> yeah, three. One, four, and five are the top three for me, which <laughs> doesn't bode well for when we're about to talk about six. But no, yeah, that's giving away something. But they like they all feel special, where the others feel like sequels. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough then. So we'll go. So at the moment, it's one four five two three so we'll move on to the last one then the most recent one which came out earlier this year and interestingly with the first scream in woodsboro and then the, the scream five is in woodsboro and 
Then Scream 2 went to college in the big city. And in this one, similarly, they go to college in New York. There's, it's, there are a lot of similarities between the first two and these two sequels. And I think for the most part, that lets it down for me because it made the overall plot very, very obvious. And I don't know if I said this to you when I watched it, but I clicked to the killer was we in the first 20 minutes. Like I just knew. And I kept saying, I kept thinking to myself, hopefully it's too obvious that it's not. And then it was, and I was like, oh, well, fuck. But um, I also remember when we, when you came out of um, watching this one, um, saying that this was your favourite opening since the first one. I do like the opening. I think I've gone back on that by saying Cotton Wearies is better now. Because um, I've rewatched this one twice since it came out. So I've watched it three well, times already. I've only, I've only watched it once. So yeah, I've watched it three times now. Um, the opening is good, though. The opening is very good. Having. Um, Samara Weaving show up as the, the, the college professor and then she, she gets like, kind of like the scream queen at the moment like her yeah. and Jenna Ortega are, are the horror girls yeah and she so that was a great casting and having her be killed off immediately by Ghostface in an alley who then takes his mask off to reveal who it is I was like well what the fuck are we seeing here like this is weird and it turns out that it's just some film student who along with his roommate is planning on terrorising Tara and Sam similarly to like some of the motivations we've seen in the past, like Mickey and stuff, where it's like, we've heard about this, we want to get in on it now. So they were planning on that. But then the student who heads back to his apartment, he's played by, I think his name is Tony Revolori or something like that. He's obviously also in the MCU as Flash, yeah. Um, but he goes back to his apartment and then he gets a call from Ghostface. And it, at that point, it's like, oh, wait, no, we don't know who goes. It's like, fuck, fuck for that. We're going to get an interesting twist here. I, I, love, I love that. Because I thought we was going to have a... They wouldn't have shown it in the trailers, but I thought we were going to have a movie where we're watching both Ghostface and the main characters at the same time. Like, I thought we were going to get, like, the motivation, us seeing the motivation and seeing it happening, uh, rather than... I thought I, I genuinely thought we were going to spend more time with Ghostface from his point of view than, than the main characters, which I was really excited for. But then... I was getting excited and then he gets the phone call and it's Ghostface. I'm like, nah, this is fucking way better. Yeah, I think it's interesting because something Alfred Hitchcock once said was in his films, he'd show you the bad thing. So instead of it being a big twist at the end, like he said, if he made a film, he'd show you that there was a bomb underneath a chair instead of just blowing up the place as a surprise because there is that fun shock twist. But he says he found it was more effective for viewers to watch knowing something bad was going to happen and they're like, they're like stressing about it, wondering whether people get out. So it would have been interesting to do that with, say we knew the killer's identity and we see him alone as the character with one of the main characters and we're like, oh shit, is this when he's going to do it? Is this when he's going to do it? It would have been good, but the whole point of Scream, one of the fun, like the most fun aspects of Scream is the big reveals and the motivations at the end and the whodunit aspects of the film. So I'm glad that wasn't how it did play out. Although watching him kill her and then just take a moment after yeah. doing it, take the mask off and then just pack his shit up and leave. Like, we've never seen a ghost face do that. So that was quite a different, like, as the opening, it was one, it was quite unique and it was effective, I thought. I thought as soon as we got the other ghost face calling that we might have had, like what you just said, him survive it, or him being the second, and then there being two different ghost faces with two different motivations, both trying to kill 
Seven times. Fuck. We've had two, we've had like two goals for this but imagine different ones with different motivations to try and do their own shit. Because I thought they're gonna try and do something really different. And like what's more different than having two copycats that aren't working with each other but both going after the same people? Like imagine yeah. this like fucking imagine a scene where two ghost faces turn up and they're like and they're just to, like whoa. They're trying to kill each other. Yeah, doing the Spider Man meme. And they're just yeah. trying to kill and they're just trying to kill each other. Like now like, that would have been great, which is yeah. which Part of the reason why I don't like Six as much is because it feels really safe. Like all the trailers leading up to it, how we had we had Stu hopes because it was this tattered mask and there was a like a obsession with Ghostface and like from the you know we saw like the little museum they have in the um, in the trailers and you know it's all. This ghost face just fucking broke. Like he uses a shotgun for the, he uses the gun for the first time in any of the movies, and like his deaths are fucking brutal. He's he's a powerhouse. They're a powerhouse in this movie, like even more than five. Like so fucking strong, so fucking very Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers like in this movie. Just for it to turn out to be another family connection, and it's just Richie his dad and family it just kind of felt like a bit of a massive wasted opportunity where you could this could have been the cult idea and instead of Stu being alive it could have been like in memorial like in memory of all the killers and you could have had a cult instead it's just revenge on Richie which yeah yeah it felt like they baited us with the whole stuff with the different masks because the actual killers didn't give a shit about any of that it was just a, re- a revenge tactic so I don't know what why they felt the need to include that stuff yeah, and it was a revenge tactic that doesn't make sense because Sam and Tara have no connection to Scream 2 and Scream 3 and Scream 4. Yeah. So no, but I think the kids one, I don't make sense, but like the, the dad and his kids going after him because of Richie, like it felt too obvious because like I said, the similarities where it went to college in the big city, obviously the similarities are also that the killer of the prior ones, parent comes back for revenge in the next one, like Mrs. Loomis has come for revenge on Sydney for killing Billy. And in this one, Richie's dad and siblings come to get revenge for killing him. And I put that together immediately when the girl said, the roommate, I can't remember her name, the daughter who ends up being a killer, when she says that her dad moved to be close to her when he lost his son, it was the immediately when she said that, and I was like, okay, dad's Richie's dad. And then when she gets killed off screen and gets thrown through the door, I was like, we didn't say die, she's popping back up later, and then when he goes outside, immediately after he said, anyone that fucks my family ends up dead, I was like, this is so fucking, like, laid on, like, they haven't even tried to hide it, like, it wasn't subtle at all, the only bit I didn't see it coming was the young lad Ethan being in on it, I didn't expect three killers, which we'd never seen expect anybody named Ethan to be good at anything. Well, yeah, they're usually useless bastards, I mean, he was a useless bastard, to be fair. Um, I, see, the girl I didn't guess, the, the lad I did, because I was like, you've been so made out obvious to be a fucking useless piece of shit and that you're a scaredy little wimp. You're obviously the fucking killer. Um, and I just, yeah, I just don't like it. But the problem with Screen 6 has a lot of great moments in it. Like the bit on the train is fantastic. Like just the visuals alone is fantastic. Um, and the bit in Gail's apartment is great. Seeing her, that, seeing her move on so quickly. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I mean, I suppose her and Dewey weren't together in the fifth they've been divorced a while so it's not like she was just it split just, up. it just felt it just felt weird yeah and that poor bastard just existed to die yeah yeah 
Yeah, and but she like, didn't care either, which is weird. Maybe it was just a friend. Yeah, friend. Um, did you know though? Did you know? Had you noticed that she'd never spoke to Ghostface on the phone before? Because I didn't. I'd never put that together because he says when he rings her, "Can't believe it took this long for us to talk." And that was the first time Gail had ever spoke to Ghostface on the phone, and I'd never noticed that before. No, and I didn't realize either. Yeah, that must have played in my head when I watched it. Yeah, because he says it when she first thing he says, I'm sorry, it took this long or something. And it's the first time that Gail had spoke to him. And she's so clever in that scene when she says, Oh, can I call you back? And he's yeah. like, What? And then she turns up and rings it. And as soon as she hears the, the tone, and she turns and shoots into the wardrobe. Like, it's yeah, really well done. I, I love that bit. And again, it was one of them, like, Is Gail going to die here? And I'm glad she didn't because I want her and Sydney to have another moment in the next film. But yeah, I mean, it's a good enough movie. I do really enjoy. I I still enjoy watch. I don't dislike watching any of them, but I really dislike how all of the, again all of the main characters live. Um, Tara and Sam's relationships really like grating in this one. Um, Sam especially just feels like they had a really cool concept for her and could have done something really special with her, and I, I don't know. She just nothing. Yeah, I think I said beforehand, going into this one, what I thought would be a smart idea is to kill her off and have Tara take over as the lead, um, get rid of all the Berluma stuff. And now that Jenny Ortega has become such a huge star, it would have made sense to have her emerge as the lead because I think she's a great character. But yeah, Sam grated on me a bit with the whole serial killer stuff and like where she's holding the mask or she's touching the case. It's like... But just never, be, yeah, it's never it's never really resolved either. It just kind of no. goes, that's not me, and that's it. Yeah. Like, and it's just I think it's got some of the worst action pieces in it as as well. Like, I can't remember exactly what happens, but there's a bit in the theater where it's just like you've got guns, just fucking shoot him. Yeah. Like, yeah, the bit when uh the police officer running who is the dad is at the top and he runs at her. Yeah. You've got a gun, shoot. Why are you running with a gun like this? And he ends up getting hit. Like, just stand at a distance and shoot. I don't understand. Like, a lot of it is, it seems to happen because they don't want anybody to die. Like, it seems like they, they really went out of the way to make sure that certain characters didn't die. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, Dad, because I think in the new cast, Chad's my favourite. And I think in this movie, he really got a chance to shine. Like, the stuff with the core four, and when he gives that speech about how they all care about Sam, I think he was a really good character, and the relationship that blossomed between him and Tara's character was really good. And he's my favorite, but he should have died. Like you can't have him be like have two ghost faces show up and stab him at the same time, and just watch him get fucked up, and then say, "Oh no, he survived that," because that's twice. Because in the last one, he got fucked up and all. Like yeah. I get he's probably supposed to be this version of Dewey where he keeps getting destroyed and surviving but like it felt like at that point he should probably not be around anymore but yeah and I didn't find his sister as as charming in this one as I did in the last one either no. she felt more I don't know I don't know if annoying is the right word but too much exposition for the sake of it like it didn't fit like with like I said before like Randy's not a character that you would like to have know in real life, but he's a great character. And she was that in five, but in six, it, it I just didn't, I just didn't, it just didn't vibe with me as the kids. I also think once you do this six times and you have a character do the 
exposition about the different horror trolls. After six, when he gets to six times, it's like, all right, we get it. Like, not much has changed in the year since the last one came out. You don't need to explain new rules for this one. Like, and also the rules she explains don't even have. She's like, anyone's off on. Anyone could die. Even the main ones. This is, and then it doesn't happen. Like, yeah, so do you just yeah. why set these rules if they don't count? Like, Gail not dying, which was one of the best scenes. Like the fight scene there, and when she's on the ground, she says. Tell Sid, tell Sydney he didn't get me. I think it's really well done, but yeah. she didn't die, which, like you said, is an issue with the majority of the cast. Like we don't see many people die in this one again. And it feels like it's trying to do what Five did, but doesn't quite do it. Where they go, where they making a commentary on the legacy sequel, sequel, um, but also, but like trying to, you know, trying to not do that. They're trying to like avoid falling into those tropes. But I just don't think they do it very well. It's just yeah. not good as well. It also is. It's. I think it's probably the only. It's the screen movie that feels less like a screen movie in that meta kind of self-aware way as well. It yeah, yeah. Lot. There doesn't seem to be too much on that whatsoever. No, but all that being said, the convenience store bit is still fucking great. Yeah, that's great, and I also really like the scene when. Um, Mindy's girlfriend dies when she, they're, crawling, they're all crawling across the ladder and she's like halfway across and he just like turns it and she just falls off because that looked brutal and the way she hits her head on the bin that scene was genuinely well done I thought, I liked that a lot um, but there's also some other characters that I haven't even talked about like the inclusion of the mysterious neighbour that has a that's like a love interest for Sam he yeah. felt like he was almost immediately like suspicious as the killer because when I'd seen like the posters and stuff and I'd seen he was in it, that was who I assumed it was because he was in uh, the Arrow TV show as the main villain, I think, in the fifth season. Yeah, and in the, yeah, and his entire thing is he plays like the district attorney and he's like a really nice guy, but then in secret he's evil. So I thought, I've seen him, I've said, my logic works with Richie. I've seen this guy play both sides of the coin. I'm running it back. And that didn't seem to be the case. But um, I like that he wasn't the killer though. Yeah, I do. I like that. I think it would have been too obvious. Yeah. Um, I, think the, I think from the character post, I was dead set it was going to be Samara Weaving. Really? Yeah. That would have been interesting. But obviously she died very early on. Very early. Like, as soon as you saw the opening scene when she was in the bar, you're probably like, yeah, never mind. Yeah. Well, no, because even then I was like, it's going to be a twist. You, you're going to think she's going to die and she's going to be the, she's going to kill someone. That would been, that's what they should do once. Even yeah, and even then I was like, it could still be her. Um, yeah. But like, as as I went into five, I still watched a few trailers. As I went into six, I was like, don't even fucking. I didn't even want to look at the poster. I had to because it's part of my job. But I didn't even want to look at the poster. I was like, fuck. Yeah. Great poster though. The the subway the subway uh, station poster is uh, one of one of my favorite. But the one behind you, I do love that scream. That scream five poster behind you. That one. No, the one behind your head. That's five, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is five. I got that as a birthday present. From? You. <laughs> do, you remember, do you not remember giving it me? No, I do remember giving it you. Yeah. Oh, or you just want your credit? Yeah, I'll no. take credit. But yeah, um, I do like six, and I do like the way like some of the kills like... The Samara Weaving's character when he stabs, oh no, it's not her. It's when he gets stabbed and they put the knife up him and he's like, oh, what about the movie Simon? The ghost face says, who gives a fuck about movies? Stuff like that was good. I just think it was too obvious, the plot line for me and the reveal at the end. I, I do like that, that Kirby came back though. 
which we haven't oh, even touched on. We can talk about Kirby coming back. I don't like that they really tried. They really, really tried to make her look suspicious. Yeah. Like I'm not believing it. There's nothing you could do that made me think so. Made me think that Kirby is a killer. Could you imagine though, like all the people that, because obviously Kirby was a huge favorite immediately after four, and everyone was like, "Oh, bring Kirby back, bring Kirby back." When we saw her in the fifth one and the clip, and everyone's like, "Please bring her back." Imagine they did, and then they were like, "Yeah, she's back, but she's the evil killer." Everyone, <laughs> imagine the uproar, man. It's almost quite. It'd have been ballsy to do it, um, but they definitely didn't. They definitely would have got a uh, last Jedi reaction out of that one, I think. Yeah. Uh, but no, I like the bring. But it just, I love like she's one of the best characters in the film, but. They really, really ham up the, but it could be her. No, you're not. You're not. You're not convincing me in the slightest. Yeah. As soon as like the detective as well saying like, oh, she's not who she says she is or something like that. I was like, okay, it's definitely this motherfucker. You ain't fooling anyone. Like, yeah, that's the problem. Like everything, everything they did to make us think it was somebody else just reinforced that it wasn't them and it was the people we originally thought. Yeah, I do like the core four as they call themselves, though. So it was weird that they somehow Mindy and Chad both survived after they both got stabbed, especially him quite brutally. But, um, I mean, I'm not against seeing more of them, so it is what it I is. Going to regardless. Yeah. One, aren't they? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, right, well, then, the first one we had, Sydney, so we can't talk about her wonderful development. Yeah, and you can feel it, I think. Yeah. 100%. I think 100% you can feel it. It's not the same without her. Like The legacy she built throughout the series, it's it's so big and it's stupid that it was something as little as money that they weren't willing to pay her what she felt she deserved, which I probably believe she deserved. Like You can't be the face of a franchise for that long and then get fucking lowballed. Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So um, it is a shame. And I'm hoping she does come back in the future and she brings Mr. Dempsey with her because that would be fucking lovely. Yeah, and- I think that's... That would be great. And I think if you're going to bring her back, you've got to bring her back with him because it wouldn't make sense otherwise. Like, yeah. why would she leave him a second time? Yeah. After the last time she left him to come to Woodsboro or whatever. Yeah. That's my thing. If he, if she keeps leaving, any good husband who's a fucking police officer would come with her. He wouldn't yeah. let her go alone to deal with this I mean, shit. He had show... in five, didn't he? Like, the really... she, had a kid, she had a kid in a push chair, didn't she? Get a babysitter, man. Yeah, good point. Well, maybe he should go. He's the fucking police officer. Not send your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Good like, point. Yeah, he should have gone to sort it out. But I mean, we're only spitballing. He might not even be him that she's married to. Just someone else called Mark. Randomly. Yeah. Sure, but I'd like to believe it's him. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's too coincidental that his name is Mark. I think they dropped that name as a reason. I think. Um, but we'll go on it then. Were, is six above three? For me, yeah. So three's the worst, is what you're saying. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, is it above two? The brutality of the kills, yeah. The film itself, no. Good, because I was about to fire on that. I don't think it's above two. I had an odd time putting five above two. You think I'm putting two, the second worst one? <laughs> Fucking no chance of that happening. I'd have fought for that one. So, I think then... We've got a definitive ranking. Yeah, so the ranking as it stands, from worst to best, we've got Scream 3 as the worst, then 6, the most recent one, then we've got 2, 
then five, then four. And I mean, there's no surprise to anyone that knew what was going to happen. There's no surprise to anyone that the very first one is still number one. I mean, uh, that's a five star movie for me. The first one, I think, is perfect. Yeah, and it's a film that because with older films like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, uh, you you worry about recommending them to people because you don't know if you're going to like them. But I <laughs> I wouldn't hesitate to recommend the first Scream because, like I said earlier, even though it's set in the '90s, it doesn't feel dated. Like there's language in there, and obviously the like it looks older, but it doesn't feel dated. You can watch it without having to understand like references and the 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 90s culture like it does it does feel still feel quite modern um and the fact that none of the other films have managed to surpass it just really shows just how great it really is yeah they were straight up in the fucking bag when they made that first one like like that is just a special movie and i think it'll take something incredible to even come close to it because i know we've got the ranking as one like we've got this ranking here but i think the gap between one and four is actually quite significant anyway i think one is so far ahead in my eyes that it wasn't even a debate. And I think even though we hadn't talked about how our rankings were going to shape out, I felt like it was obvious that I also knew you would agree. I think almost anyone in the world would say one's the best one. I don't know anyone that thinks otherwise. But um, I, got, I got two questions. We've hinted at, we've hinted at a few things uh, throughout this episode. My second question. First question, if we were to do an episode of a showdown, with Back to the Future and Scream. <laughs> Who would come out on top? Breakfast Club. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> no. no, that one. That's my favourite film ever. You never put Back to the Future up against anything because it'll always lose is what you're trying it's to It's my favourite. It's my favourite movie ever. I can't. Um, Scream's, probably, Scream's my favourite horror movie, though. But Back yeah. to the Future's my favourite movie. Um, well, I'm glad we didn't. Yeah, to be fair, if we put Scream up against any anything else it would be like conjuring versus insidious it'd be a landslide yeah. a landslide 10 for me for- yeah that's why i didn't want to do scream as a showdown because there was nothing because and i felt it was almost blasphemous if we put it against halloween which is obviously considered the greatest slasher ever and then scream still won in a landslide <laughs> which i think it probably would have done um so I think, I think halloween's the greatest slasher to an older generation mm. i think to a more modern and young generation like me um uh who the fuck are you kidding scream is the scream is the definitive slasher i think what they both had going for them is they both kind of revolutionized the genre like halloween created that slasher trend and then scream transformed it and it it took it and made it into something completely different and all you have to do is look at all the movies that came after both of them in response to them and see the impact they both had so they are both the two best, I think, but because of how much I love Scream, it would have felt bad doing Halloween and it having and it losing so handily. So I couldn't do that. Couldn't do that to it. Um, Other question. So we've talked about it a, a, a bit. What do you want to see next from Scream? Oh, that's I like, hard. I like the idea that again, me and Dan have spoke about before, like it being Christmas time and it being somewhere snowy and a bit out of like more cabin in the woodsy type, like out yeah. of the way, um, somewhere way more secluded and really leaning into that kind of thing. But also like, I want to see more of the ghost face, ghost face perspective throughout the film. Like I've just yeah. said, like I want us all 
I don't know if you can do it now because it's already been done um kind of but having like i just said like having those two ghost face killers would be great um following the go following ghost face one of them at least like imagine having a film where we know who one of the ghost faces are but the main characters don't but there's also another ghost face like that would be pretty cool but yeah. i also like the idea from the cancelled free script with the cult of ghost face like the cult of stew would be great still yeah, doing the cult one, I think, is a big one. I think that'd be great. I also like the idea of having a survivor turn killer. I think the way, like, having this whole thing with Sam, the best way to put it out is for her to become a killer, I think. Um, there's there's no real point of doing this story with the links to her dad and showing that she can be a killer. I think it would work best if that did eventually evolve into her becoming Ghostface or even, like, a different member of the team, like... Um, I don't, I don't want to say like Chad because that's my fucking goat but like someone that has been around and been involved and then eventually becomes it themselves I just think it would work do you know the best I think the best option for that Randy's sister <laughs> <laughs> she's been there twice now she knows what's going on but she seems to get away from her all no genuinely because of how big she is General Ortega that would be good yeah that would be or good the, all the shit she's been through and all the shit she's put up, like had to put up with and her sister's, I don't know, still controlling or something or I don't know, but if they could if they could work out a way to twist it so that General Tegra is one of the killers or the killer, that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, I think the best way to do it is have one of the sisters so the other can really take charge as a lead. I won't mind seeing Patrick Dempsey come back as a killer though. Determined that... to get rid of everyone with those links to Sydney. So she can finally be at peace. So he starts killing off all these past survivors because he's deranged. He's like, yeah. I'm sick of Sydney fucking off with you lot every couple of years to do this shit. So I'm going to kill everyone he is. So there is no ties to Ghostface and Sydney anymore. Don't do that to Sid. It'd be good though. Could you imagine him? What? Kincaid just kills everyone. What if uh, what if it's Sydney and Kincaid working together? Just the family fucking snap. You know what? I'm going to do this. What if it's. What if it's Kincaid from Nightmare 3 and he just comes oh back and he's like, God. fuck you, little bare-faced pussy. All the he comes back and just kills everyone. <laughs> I think that's when I'll clock out of the franchise. Do you, like, genuinely, like, I know we both want it, but do you think they could and should bring Stu back? I don't think they should. I think they could, though. I mean, I mean they, they were going to win three. They had an excuse for three. They could just use the same one. If he's been... He's how long has it been now? Like, 20, 26 years since the first one, right? Yeah, something like that. That sounds like a long, a worthy prison sentence for a murderer. Like, it would make sense that he's still sat there behind bars. But surely people would know he's in prison. Yeah, I think that's the issue when Kirby said that he was dead. Yeah. And then Thingy said, because before that, no one had ever actually said that Stu was dead. No one touched on it. They just said he was a prick. Yeah. I think that's the biggest heartbreak is that she said. And even though there was that little, is he? Like, I think it's hard because realistically, she's a police officer. She would know. Yeah. She would know if he was de declared dead. She would know if he's in prison or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only issue with it. Um, the only other thing is that he, I don't know, faked his death in prison. Yeah. He's been living out, building his own court or whatever. It'd be interesting. Yeah. Now, again, I don't think you can do it because they've already kind of ruined that museum type thing. But having the court to Ghostface, not even to the killers, but to the like the image of Ghostface or whatever would be great. But yeah, 
Well, we'll we'll we'll, we'll end it here then. We a quick, I've got a quick couple of uh, questions for you myself. Do you think this might be the longest one we've done? Oh, undoubtedly, but it's because we're talking about one of my favourite franchises. Um, so <laughs> we've got a ranking there: one, four, five, two, six, three. Yeah. Which one has your favourite killer? Just one, not both. Ooh. One. What individual killer? Yeah. So like you've obviously we've got what two, four, six, eight. Nine. We've got twelve killers across the movies. Which one individual out of all those twelve is your favourite? Oh, I'm gonna say something blasphemous. You say Richie? No, Jill. Jill, that's a good one. Jill's probably my second behind Stu. I think Jill's great. It was a toss-up between Jill and Stu, but thinking about it, Stu wasn't the mastermind. No, like, Billy ran that shit. And Billy's great, but it's something about the reveal of Jill that just really... Yeah, Emma, Emma Roberts' performance afterwards is brilliant as well. Um, And secondly then, real quick, which one? what's your favourite death? Ooh... I like um, in the second one when he gets that dick in his ear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't know if it's my favourite. Oh, that's too many to think about. I do like the second one when she when she's stabbed in the cinema. Yeah. I do like that. I'm gonna be I'm gonna sound like a right basic bitch. Wait, death or moment leading up to it, like sequence or it could be it can be the sequence, yeah. Then Casey Becker. Every time. Casey's a good one, yeah. Man's right. Randy. Oh, of course. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, yeah. No, Casey Becker. I also no, and I do like um Judy's son and Judy, that whole sequence. Yeah. I really like that scene too. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Dewey as well. You can't like now I'm gonna go Casey, but I think five might have the best sequences. But yeah, yeah, five's got some really overall, good ones. Overall, like in terms of numbers, it got the best sequences, but you can't beat the Casey Becker scene. It's iconic for a reason. No, I agree. It's I agree. Gruesome in um, five when he's got the gut spilling out, but she has her gut spilled out in the first one as well. Yeah, yeah, and she's hung from a fucking tree. No, I do prefer the scary movie version of that. When movie. she gets hit by the car? No, she, she's running through the sprinklers and. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she starts doing her. Uh... When yeah, she picks up the banana instead of like the grenade and the handgun. Yeah, and she gets stabbed in the tit and the, <laughs> the implant comes out. Yeah, and she gets run over because her dad doesn't say because he's a bit occupied with her, her mother. Um, but yeah, well, that brings this one to an end then. We've got our definitive yeah. ranking. You want, sorry? Scream versus scary movie. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, but yeah, that, that's it then. That bring, We've got our definitive Scream ranking, one of our favourite horror franchises ever. And we now have a ranking from worst to best. I think we do a good job. I think that's a solid list. Um, it's a long one. I think easily the longest episode we've done so far, but it was a good one, I think. I enjoyed oh, that. You know what, probably. Yeah, I imagine it was. But we hope you enjoyed that, guys. Um, if you are watching on YouTube, feel free to like and subscribe to the channel. Uh, head over to one of the audio channels like Spotify or Apple Music or... Uh, Apple Podcasts, sorry, or Amazon Music, that's sort of jazz roll on there. Uh, and vice versa, if you're on one of them and want to look at our faces and see me attempt to point at the numerous posters in this room that I've tried and filled over and over and over, 
then feel free at the Cinematch podcast on YouTube. Our details are all below. I'm not even going to read them out because you point out every week that they're just going to be beneath us. Do you know what? I think I've changed the the graphic for this episode. I can't remember if they're below or not. No, I <laughs> typical of the not. Our details are. Our details are. Yeah, hopefully they're there. If not, I'll have to quickly run through it then. Um, if not, I'll make sure they're on this. They're, they're somewhere. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, if you want to find us anything, I'm on X and Letterbox. That Callum Altimus on X and Caltimus on Letterbox. I'm almost at 365 movies for the year, which is incredible. Including um, rewatches or not including rewatches? Or including rewatches, because like I said, I've watched like Bad Future like five times, um, and the new Screen Three. I've done more. I've definitely done more than a hundred, but I've had so much on this year. I've, yeah. I've well, really- I've, I've got Christmas coming up, so that number's going to smash yeah. past four hundred, no doubt. Um, but yeah, it's all there, hopefully. But if not, I've just told you. So where can we find you? Nay underscore two on four. Nay H no nay H underscore two on four on uh Twitter and nay two on four on Letterboxd. So I've not had a since starting this podcast, I've not had a single new follower uh on Twitter. So either you're not listening or you just don't care to follow me. I've had a few, but the defo like fake accounts that are just like really attractive women that don't actually exist. Imagine um, all these imagine all these really attractive women at home being like, why is he not talking to me? Why is he not following me? <laughs> But yeah, we hope you enjoyed that, guys, and we hope you stuck with it today because that was long as hell. But um, this is it. End of Halloween. October's over. Oh, yeah. We don't know what we're doing next week yet. We'll have to decide. Um, We really should decide what we're going to do on the next month. As we get ready for Christmas in just over a month's time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for watching, guys. She comes out of you when it's Christmas time. Ah, I'm so fucking excited. I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, thanks for watching, guys, and we shall see you next week. Peace out. I still don't like Kincaid.